like your lollipop. What's up, everybody? Hey, how's it going? Oh, God. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And just for context of why that intro was mangled right there, Rob was singing the friggin' Lexi Blue song. <laughs> I didn't even think about the audiobook that they would have actually recorded the freaking Lexi Blue song. Oh, don't you worry about that. We'll just as that. bad as you <laughs> might expect. Yes. And Ugh. as everyone has surely noticed, we are lucky enough today to be joined once again by Danielle, also known as Fell Candy, also our thumbnail artist. What's up, Danny? Hello. <laughs> so, for episode 108, I hope it's pretty clear by now that we are continuing with our read of Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff's YA trilogy, The Illuminae Files, with book two, Gemina. And to change things up a little bit, since Drew is on his first read, and I've just finished like my 12th or 15th or something like that, wow. today's recap is going to come from yours truly. That's right, there's a lot going yeah. on in this book, and I'm here to explain it all, everybody. So... <clears throat> Watch closely, hold your breath, listen, and I will show you the components of Calamity. <laughs> Alright, let's begin here. So, where we left off last was with the triumph of the Hypatia. She's carrying thousands of survivors of uh, Baytex assault on Carenza. And at the end of Illuminae, Katie and Aiden, with the incredible force of the Alexander and more than a little bit of luck, they destroyed the Lincoln. And they are on their way back to the core systems to spread the tale of Baytex atrocities. But at Heimdall, the giant station that, you know, grants wormhole access to the rest of humanity, they have their own problems brewing. We begin our narrative with the two main characters. First is Hannah Donnelly, the teenage daughter of the station commander, Charles Donnelly. Hannah's only problem, as we start the book, at least, is just trying to fend off the advances of Nick Malikov, our other main character while she's trying to purchase some questionable substances from his connections to the illegal underground. Nick, on the other hand, he's head over heels for this girl. He's against all reason and reprimand from his family. He's just enthusiastically chasing this hopeless goal. But as celebrations for the observed holiday kick off, however, Hannah's questionable decisions end up saving their lives. Because unknown to them, a tactical unit of elite cybernetically enhanced special ops is inbound on behalf of Baytech. So, there's a hidden asset of theirs on the station, one Samuel Maginot, under the alias Jackson Merrick, Hannah's current boyfriend, no less. He hijacks another Comtech's ID to blackmail Nick into using his underground connections to smuggle aboard a mysterious package, which turns out to be Travis Fox's team, consisting of three squads. This unit immediately kills Nick's uncle and his family, as well as the station commander, Charles Donnelly, in this display of power, and they take over occupation of Heimdall Station. They have orders to liquidate the station, everybody on board, and any surviving record of what Baytech did at Carenza. Hannah and Nick, however, they're privately meeting up for this drug deal, but so they're isolated, but they're together when the terrorists arrive. So Hannah is using her considerable tactics... And, and martial arts training, courtesy of her father. And Nick is using his underground context, most specifically his cousin Ella, who is a paraplegic computer systems prodigy. And together they launch this sort of resistance movement against their invaders. So there's various encounters that incur. 
Hannah literally kicking some special ops ass while Nick kind of fumbles about, but then he ends up facing the exact deed that he's already marked for, which is murder. And if that's not enough, the Dom Najav, Nick's mafia family, the House of Knives, they're no longer alive to tend to a previous engagement of theirs, which turns out to be a hostile parasitic alien life form called the Lanima which produced the slime that they harvest for dust, which is that psychoactive drug that end up, ended up saving the universe. I'm not kidding. I can justify that. In a series of rather unfortunate events, the Baytech operatives, they fire up the wormhole to bring through Assault Fleet Kennedy with the task of destroying the station for good. But Nick Malakov just happens to be flying a private craft, the Betty Boop, in the wrong place at the wrong time with the worst possible cargo, a fuel rod of insulated hermium the exact particle that allows humanity to create wormholes in the first place so nick survives the event but systems all over heimdall they, they surge they begin to fail hannah's continuing her fight through the station itself she's out maneuvering physically fighting she's laying chemical traps for the baytech spec ops nick's trump card his cousin ella she's engaged in this sort of digital wrestling match with mantis who is baytech's tech specialist and as the Baytech, you know, occupation grinds away at the innocent lives aboard Heimdall, Hannah finally learns two things, each one on its own enough to cripple her. First, she learns that Nick's angel wing tattoo around his throat means that he has killed, he has committed murder on behalf of his family in their house, and that he pled guilty to the murder of a child. The second thing that Hannah learns, then, is the truth about her boyfriend, Jackson and his involvement with the occupation as Rapier, another uh, Baytech specialist. He is the spy who smuggled aboard the team that killed her father. But, of course, their problems don't end there. By this point, massive energy fluctuations are shaking Heimdall Station apart. Our party aboard Hypatia finally arrives on scene. They're opening communications with Heimdall, and they're learning about the impending danger of Assault Fleet Kennedy, while Hannah continues having her world flipped upside down even more. Her boyfriend is pleading his innocence, ex-boyfriend at this point, honestly. Uh, and then she learns from Nick the truth about his supposed crimes, which is a truly heartbreaking story in its own right. Assault Fleet Kennedy heads through the wormhole, but instead of destroying the Hypatia, they just disappear completely. So the researchers aboard, Hy aboard Hypatia, particularly their acting captain, Sira Bowl, they come to the conclusion that the wormhole issues are the result of two different universes having their wires crossed for lack of a better term. And they realize that the energy storms that they're experiencing are just a result of reality itself trying to close the gap. Baytech, they, their forces eventually corner Nick and Hannah together, leading to Nick being fatally shot by Callie, the sergeant of uh, Baytech's alpha team. So once Nick dies and Hannah avenges his death by killing Callie, she's contacted by none other than Aiden, the AI aboard Hypatia. Aiden explains to her that the Nick she just watched die is not her Nick Malakov, but rather an extra-dimensional copy of Nick, and she still has a chance to see her Nick again, and to save the entire universe, both universes, by correcting this sort of Gemina paradox. If she can get the dead Nick's body across the wormhole, at exactly the same time her Nick returns through it, they can prevent this possible annihilation of both universes. So the narrative sort of pulls out at this point where we track the efforts of both Hannah Donnelly in Universe A and Nick Malakoff in Universe B 
each trying to get the dead rep like respective through the wormhole at the same time, while Aiden struggles to carry out multiple conversations at once in different dimensions, no less. Batex Spec Ops leader Lieutenant Falk is finally killed in both universes, and Hannah and Nick manage to complete their task with only instance to spare. But then we learn horrifically, at first, horrifically, from an after-action report by Jackson Merrick that he killed our main characters with the Heimdall defense systems fire, and he completed Baytech's mission. But as we finally return to the UTA Tribunal Court and the hearing with Leanne Frobisher, we hear the truth of events, that Jackson sacrificed his life to keep that wormhole open moment by moment, allowing the Hypatia, as well as Nick, Hannah, Ella, and even Mr. Biggles the Goldfish to escape through the Carenza wormhole as Baytech's second insurance fleet finally liquidates the station and kills him. And that his dying act was to save Hannah and spread the truth of Baytech. So, now that we've covered that, I apologize for how long that had to be. <laughs> but this is an insanely complex story for such a small amount of page time. And I'd love to dive right into style. But I'll hand it off to one of you guys. Anything that you guys want to begin with style-wise? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, this retains the format of Illuminae. It's still this kind of epistolary book driven largely by things like instant messages and, uh, you know, fun page designs and, and commentary and things like that. One thing I did notice in this one, though, was that at least it felt that there was a lot more of the surveillance footage summary, which is as, you know, as close as we get to normal, you know, third person prose. Uh, it's a it's a different type of narrator. It's not a close third person narrator, but it is a third person narrator, and uh, and and there it felt like there was a lot more of that. That a lot of this story was told through that surveillance footage, you know, transcriptionist voice, rather than um, you know, the the instant messages. And I think part of that is because there's no Aiden for most of this book, uh, you know that Aiden style doesn't really come in until the last maybe 10, 15%. Uh, you know, and so it's, it's a little, it's a little more straightforward in the format of it than was Illuminae. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, you know, Aiden does show up, um, more when the Lanima are around. He's the one describing them because he's like, oh, 7213 can't yeah. really accurately describe this. And he gets really yeah. into it, which is kind yeah, of fun. Yeah, and 7213 mm -hmm. doesn't want to. I mean, we hear 7213 complaining several times that he's like, you guys are not paying me enough <laughs> yeah. to watch yeah. this, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And I honestly think, uh, since we're on the but, subject of 7213, I, I do want to say that this could also be a response to the fact, or I should say a result of the fan response to Analyst mm -hmm. ID 7213, because everybody loves this guy. So writing more from his point of view only serves to please the, a lot of the readers even more as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I Obviously, I'm not involved in the fandom. I don't know when that kind of, like... If, if that was something directly after Illuminate came out where everybody's like, this guy, I love this guy. Or if it was something that kind of grew over the course of the series, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I don't have that, you know, fandom context. Yeah, from what uh, I understand, but... it was 
the form. It was this guy. Everybody just freaked out about this guy. And he, it is funny. Mm-hmm. I do like him. Yeah. And, it, yeah, I, I, I will say he was probably either either him or, or Falk were my favorite characters. Yes, I'm so glad to hear you say you liked Falk. <laughs> I, was, I was so worried that you were going to hate him and I was going to have to combat you on this. It's also I, a little uh, I, concerning that him and Falk <laughs> are the only ones. <laughs> oh, stray kitty. Ah, uh, it's okay. I think they're both. One second, he's by a bunch of drying glasses. One second. <laughs> no. Giddy. He's like, excuse me. Glassware. Yes, I also like Lieutenant Falk. He was cool. Please don't knock this over. That's a big cat. I guess I'm so used to having, I mean, I had my cat for 13 years. He was like half that size. Oh, wow. Little. <laughs> I am sorry. That's like $250 worth of glassware that he was just like bumping into. <laughs> please, so. What please else would don't. he go for? <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, yeah. Falcon um, 7213. Yeah. It, it, obviously, you know, this is this is more like a character discussion, but I... It does tie into the style of this book, where like I really didn't like most of the characters, That's fair. and and at the same time, I liked the story and the plot and the premise probably more than I liked Illuminae's. But even though I didn't love the characters in Illuminae, I liked them more than I liked the characters in Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, uh, as far as style goes for this book, I do also feel like it's a lot more involved than the story in Illuminae. So there needed to be a lot more surveillance and there needed to be a lot more text mm-hmm. message and between Nick, Ella, and Hannah, and Jackson, and all of these people texting each other. Um, that actually, to me, seemed really prominent in this book compared to Illuminae. Yeah, the because so much of the conflict or or the conflict resolution in this was collaborative in ways that it just wasn't. <laughs> uh, my cat. Um, it, it just wasn't in Illuminae. You know, a lot of Illuminae was just like Katie doing her thing yeah. mm-hmm. and doing it with Aiden at the end of the book. And you know, we're not getting text messages, you know, between Katie and Aiden when she's on board. <laughs> oh my He's gosh. A my cat is rampaging. <laughs> He's a total menace. Um, yeah, uh you know, but but because we don't have Aiden as like a major player in this book until the very end, uh we have to have those text messages and we yeah. have to have that surveillance footage. Well, also, we have to have those messages because the relationship between <sighs> Hannah and Nick is not established like Ezra and Katie were. So we're actually mm-hmm. building a relationship over the course of this book rather than the last book where it was already it was already there. Oh yeah. I hadn't really considered that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um so since we're we're going into this romance here, I do I wanna talk a little bit. Um but I I I wanna talk about how Christoph and Kaufman they managed to balance that expectation as they start this one because I felt like in Illuminae I definitely, you know, groused a bit about how we were reminded right away, even though we had some seriously adult themes. We had invasion, war, death, corporate motive. We were still reminded right away that that was a young adult novel with Katie talking yeah. about breaking up with her ex. 
you know. This time I felt mm-hmm. like it sort of flipped. We begin with Hannah's journal entries, which are, to many, you know, myself included, kind of irritatingly immature. But then we're left with that note, the bullet hole at the bottom right. Yes, that is blood. And that kind of came off to me like a declaration. Like, you are in for some serious shit. Get mm-hmm. ready. And I think it worked really well to set the tone for this one. It was good. I do think this book was darker overall than Illuminae. Mm-hmm. It didn't have as much of the horror element. Yeah, it didn't have the creep factor. It did have some horror, you know, with the, the Lanama. Little but, uh, but it wasn't as central to the conflict as, you know, Phobos Beta was. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that young adult aesthetic. Again, I, I need to express my agreement with what Drew said, I think, in, in the first episode, that this series would probably have worked better, at least in your opinion, like as a straight-up adult sci-fi. Uh, the, like the young adult mm, aesthetic. No. What's that? I didn't say that. I thought you could have... Did I? I must have mis- misinterpreted what you said then. I think it was, was the opposite. I was no, I, I, I... Yeah, I said that it wouldn't work uh, without the young adult, uh, without the like relationship conflict and, oh, and I think... the young adult mentality and attitudes. Okay, I think this is in compartmentalization. As okay, that okay, yeah. Uh, thanks for correcting me there because I was <laughs> putting words in your mouth. I'm gonna kind of flip on that. I'd say the young the young adult aesthetic kind of kills it for me in places, um, but that's a very subjective huh. thing to say. That it's not written for me. It is written with a younger audience in mind. Uh, but like the first, when I'm reading it, there are several places in which I'm kind of pulled completely out of the narrative by a reminder that I'm still reading Young Adult. You know, the, the romance can take over the narrative at times when we get back into it. There are so many times when Aiden refers to Nick as the boy. That just... For me, I kind of ground my teeth a little bit after the the several times you that it was used. the it was, boy it was, prey? Yeah. The, the boy. It was just a tad <laughs> yeah. gratuitous in my opinion. And while I'm still blown away by this book, I'm going to be ranting about how good this book is for the rest of the episode. I don't think anyone would claim that it's flawless. Like, I just think it could be a more uh, more perfect is kind of redundant. Just a perfect book by dispensing with the forced teenage aspect of it. That's all. That's just my opinion. I think that's part of just Hannah's personality in general, though, like she's that's how she deals with trauma and stress is by reverting to being this girly girl kind of. But it's it's not just Hannah, though. It's also with Aiden, you know, the boy again and again and again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When we got that the biggest narrative pullback from the most objective viewpoints, it was still reading like a young adult novel to me. Well, yeah, I mean, unlike in Illuminae, there is a full-on love triangle in this mm-hmm. one, which is one of the staples, one of the YA tropes, yes. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, to wrap up my style points here, I, I still have a lot of the same praises I had last episode. They still stand. The full cast, the effects, the editing from the audiobook, I'm talking about the audiobook now, everything comes together and they bring it to life in a way that, like, the page for me, a physical page is still too sterile to deliver. I mean, for one, as Drew, you mentioned at the top of the episode, we have heard the Lollipop song. Danny and I know that song. Ugh. And it's every bit as bad as the book implies. And I love it for that. Now, <laughs> another neat thing that I noticed, yeah. and this is something that I, that I just Ugh. noticed. I just noticed right now. Well, not right now. Earlier today, as I finished up my read, 
As Aiden is narrating the events across two parallel universes, there's, of course, there's like a, a delay in the overlap on the voices. Um, and in the audiobook, there are two Lincoln Hoppers, like the voice actor for Aiden. But what struck out, what stuck out to me on this read, <laughs> I swear to God, I think this is what happened. In universe A, with Hannah struggling to bring Nick's body across the wormhole, Aiden is being echoed once, but on delay, right behind. And in universe B, with Nick struggling to get Hannah's corpse across the wormhole, the effect on Aiden's voice is like a, it's an echo that precedes every line. It actually comes a split second before. You can hear the sentences starting proper before he actually delivers it. It's so trippy. I listened again and again, and it wasn't a loud metal shop with like pretty shitty earbuds, so it's kind of hard to tell. But I think that's what they did. It's just, I just want to say the audiobook engineering, once again, is just top notch. It's so good. I mean, that makes sense since it's mirrored, you know. Yeah. I just yeah. hadn't noticed that it. they would, you know, if, if, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even put that together because yeah, yeah. I did listen with the audiobook as well, but I kind of followed along with my hard copy. And uh, I did notice that that that, that was uh, kind of mirrored, which was a really nice effect for that. I think that the audiobook was best done at the end of the book with all the stuff that was going on. I don't think it was that great at the beginning with the notebook and hannah and and all of that like her drawings and things you don't get the full effect of her drawings she's narrating what's going on in her comics and things which i didn't really like as much yeah yeah we were just discussing before we went live here because i mean i'm holding my hardcover in front of me i have a signed hardcover i just i really haven't it's it's in such pristine condition i've had it for like three years now i just i hesitate to open it i want it to remain pristine but i haven't seen a lot of these (laughs) journal sketches of katie's and so they're they're, even now they're actually still kind of new to me yeah they're they're really really nicely done um and it it looks like a a girl you know a 17 or 18 year old girl is drawing them like it definitely i mean she's talented she's very talented the artist i believe um who who is the artist here oh uh, mary lou territory who? Or Marie Sorry? Marie Lou. Marie she's Lou. another author. Yeah. So she um nice. she's a great artist and she's also a young adult author. And I actually have her signature in my book too. Do you really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Along with Jay and Amy's. Well, so, well speaking Sorry, go ahead. So like the audiobook, when it goes through Hannah's journals, it it works a little bit because it's Hannah's voice reading off kind of what she draws, but she draws a lot of diagrams and it doesn't come across very, very well when she's um, kind of describing how um, Heimdall is oriented and where all the places are, like Whoa. docks, boring, Hermione Drew, what reactor, page is that? boring, entertainment complex, LOL. Like... <laughs> The, the See, pictures I, look a lot nicer yeah. than the audiobook. With the audiobook, I just that, I read that as a list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Drew just showed me the It's page an actual diagram. She oh, drew Heimdall, and she drew herself, and she drew, you know, pictures of her and her father, and pictures of her and Jackson, and all of that, I think, was better on, obviously, the written I'm, word rather than audio. I'm looking at it right now. Jackson doing push-ups with Katie on him strawberries <laughs> yeah wow mm-hmm. this is definitely a lot more like this part of it is of course a lot more immersive which is not a huge surprise to mm-hmm. be seeing it 
Huh. Awesome. It's just so beautiful. I kind of I just want to close the book and protect it. I don't want to keep it yeah. open for too long. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we we very briefly yeah. uh, brought up uh, God, uh, other authors, or at least their their work outside of this book here. And I just found my last style point. I, I know I said my last one was my last one, but I just found this style point here. I did some extra homework for this week. We 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 talked last week about our experiences with the authors, or at least well, author in this case, it was Jay Kristoff and his other works to try and you know just make style comparisons. And since Danny and I have both read Nevernight, Danny, you read the entire trilogy. I figured it was only fair that I turn and I dive into one of Kaufman's novels. So I did a modest fifty-two hours of welding this week. So I oh. I managed to knock out Gemina pretty quickly. I downloaded the first novel in Kaufman's Elemental series, Ice Wolves. And I spent the vast majority of today listening to that one. I managed to read, I, I calculated it, I went by the minutes, and I went, I got 85% into that book before getting home today, and I had to start my podcast notes here and everything. I've got to say, though, I, I think I can see a major hand of Kaufman now in the world-building aspect of the Illuminate Files. Hmm. I'm not saying I'm sure about that, but the woman does have a very straightforward, solid approach to setting. That series itself, it, it, it's, I mean, it's clearly not meant for me as an audience. It's meant for like 10 to 13-year-olds. But I'm dead certain that 10-year-old me would have loved that book. The characters, they mm -hmm. feel organic. The prose is neat. Setting and style is very cliche. But it's just so unapologetic about it that losing yourself in it is still easy. I can't say I'm totally familiar with Kaufman yet, at least not as much as I am with Kristoff. But it was some solid YA fantasy. I would definitely recommend it to a younger audience. But yeah, that's oh. what I did. That was my extra homework that I took upon myself this week. I read <laughs> the majority of, of Kaufman's uh, Ice Wolves. Wow, okay. So that's the end yeah, of my style I, discussion. I have not... <laughs> I, I certainly did not have the time to pick up... Uh, yeah, you guys are both very busy and, this and week. And read any Kaufman this week. <laughs> I finished yeah, this I... book about 10 minutes before we started this podcast. So, yeah, I, I'm, yes. I, by the way, I am envious of your ability to just dive into a podcast and talk about it having just finished it. I had to write down 4,200 words worth of notes here. Granted, a lot of that was my recap but <clears throat> yeah i just I, i'm such an uh extensive note taker so mm. all right i'm yeah. ready to go into characters yeah. there's nothing else that you guys have style oriented to discuss i'm good no, let's uh let's talk about hannah okay oh no <laughs> let's get this one out of the way <laughs> Who wants to start okay danny <laughs> <laughs> i okay, danny. i don't like hannah she reminds me of, like, Never Been Kissed, Drew Barrymore, or something like <laughs> Which, I love Drew Barrymore, but oh, if, if this is a movie, wow. you know, 90s Drew Barrymore would be Hannah. <laughs> I was sipping right there. I almost did a spit take. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a lot of it really does come from the audiobook, the narrator for hannah has this real kind of valley girl voice and i can't stand it um and i cringe like if i play my audiobook and my husband's walking by and he hears the hannah part he's like starts pretending to be like like hannah and talking like that and it just drives me crazy <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so a lot of my dislike comes from just listening so her as a character, yeah, I don't like her either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm, I'm with you. She's she's snotty. She's bratty. She's 
<laughs> she's manipulative of all the men in her life her father her boyfriend her friend nick uh, <laughs> she's, she's i don't like her <laughs> no, not okay. every kid is like that no oh i i would never never say it every kid was like that i was more mature than that by 12 and i was not a mature person at all i'm still not <laughs> a mature person at all <laughs> well okay i'm gonna say something that may piss off the both of you but i don't get the hannah donnelly hate like, I can see, Danny, your point about the audiobook delivery. There's something that, that's that's so superficial about that Callie from mm-hmm. the Valley kind of delivery there. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that was intentional, you know? I, yeah. I, I'm not a huge was. fan of that either. Yeah. But I've heard this audiobook enough times that I, I just, it, it's sort of in one ear and out the other, and I just keep the essentials. I find Hannah Donnelly to be a much preferable protagonist to Katie Grant. Yes, she has a lot of superficial issues that take a minute to get past, but, you know, I still liked her overall. I definitely like her overall. Chapter 24. This is a moment that stuck out to me. Um, her emails with her father, Charles Donnelly. Their, their, their back and forth felt so believable, and you were right, Danny, in that she is manipulative, you know, but it still feels like an innocent thing. Um, it, it felt so organic, despite the futuristic setting, you know, Charles awkwardly retorting, you know, about Jackson's hand placement and her, mm-hmm. oh my God, dad, you are so mortifying. And then his laughter, this comes across in the audiobook and particularly his laughter and obliging her with the extra money for her dress, which he's already guessed that she's ordered ahead of time. It's, it's just, for me, it's endearing on both parts in their relationship with one another. And Again, it could be the audiobook <laughs> spoiling my opinion here because the audiobook f-ing nailed it. And these two voices oh, yeah. going back and forth, they just Definitely. it's an entire experience in itself. So I will agree with you. I think the strongest part, my favorite part of Hannah was her relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that went bye bye real fast. <laughs> right. Uh, but she- I, I just like, I couldn't stand the way she interacted with most of the other characters. Uh, and and I mean, I'm not an artist, you know, like the journal, like I would get to a journal page and I would just roll my eyes. I'm like, I have to <laughs> friggin' like parse all of this out and it's just going to be like super, super in your face, teenage girl. And and then like she carries that through like she's kind of a drama queen and and like from a from a little more of like a critical standpoint she feels to me as a direct response to Katie Grant as a character, where in Illuminae, Kaufman and Kristoff wrote Katie Grant as the more or less stereotypical, I'm not like the other girls, you know. Yeah. And here we have the like the arch nemesis of that girl in high school. Yes. The popular athletic girl, rich girl, you know, and then tried to make her a sympathetic main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't I don't think they pulled it off. Uh, <laughs> really, I, I I didn't like her. I just didn't like so, her. So uh, a counterpoint to first of all your mention about her journal pages. There is one journal page in particular that I absolutely love, and it's so minor, and it really doesn't like add anything to the plot. But her drawing of the Dene Matresco jumpsuit. <gasps> 
There's a drawing of that jumpsuit? Yeah, so I the drawing to, yeah. of it is amazing. Yeah. So the drawing itself is great. Yeah. Drawing. Oh my gosh. But the annotation. Yes, like, the drawing of it is fine. The drawing of it says limited edition price on application. Fathers need not apply. It doesn't say anything about the <laughs> um, the changes that she had to undergo while she was wearing this jumpsuit in you know within the ducts of the air ducts and everything. But yeah. then she has little annotations about reinforce the stitching, add internal pockets, yeah, adjust yeah. Yeah, for range of that. movement. And then in the corner, there's the blood stain. So this is such a layered page because it's like a girl's journal. You know, she loves this this jumpsuit. She she asked her dad for money, and then she's making changes to it. And then at the end, there's this blood stain on it, and it just it's such a neat page, and I really love it. So I actually have a question for for both of you guys here. So I when I got to that page, I I did appreciate that, Danny. Um, when I got to that page, in in my mind, what that was was saying, all the way back at the beginning when she was saying, "Oh, I'm going to be late to the the drug deal. My hair's a mess. So I got a delay." Her hair wasn't a mess. She was altering her. See, wasn't that no? She was ordering those alter alterations, right? Oh, I didn't get that impression. That's, that's I thought she did I got, the alterations herself. But again, I read it was just audiobook I read, but it. Because the impression like a, like a, that I got was that she drew she drew it way back before she ordered it, and then she added the annotations as she was wearing it, you know, climbing through air ducts and things. Oh, oh, interesting. So that the alterations were right. never made. She, she was, was thinking saying, about like, how she oh, would design I need it to improve yeah. it. Because oh. it says add padding, and it huh. even says in, inside the blood stain, it says chameleon stripe, make sure it can blend in with the same black as the suit. Because she was talking about how the chameleon stripe was like bright blue or green or something. Green, yeah, yeah, so. Oh my I, god. Ooh. I totally read that as just like uh, when you put like additional instructions for delivery driver when you're ordering a mm. pizza. It's just like, I want it <laughs> done like this, and I want it done like that. Like it was part of the purchase order. But I hadn't considered the context of with the suit. That's really interesting. I definitely didn't. Uh, I didn't catch that bit in the uh, the blood stain. I think uh, yeah, it's kind of that hard does to see. change the context. Nice. Yeah. No. Huh. That is really funny though that we had three different <laughs> yeah. interpretations of this one page. I mean, that tells you like just how layered it mm-hmm. is. It, it is good writing. Like, I I'm, I'm not going to say that she's a poorly written character by any means. I just didn't particularly like her um and and it's funny that she has that affectation in the uh the audiobook Mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways and i'm gonna expose myself a little bit here um i don't know if anybody's seen the oc no i've heard of it uh it's it's an extremely you know like uh Girl show, um, you know, <laughs> drama. Girl show uh, about you could say it like so. The chick. I no. I I was introduced to it by my older sisters one winter when all like some ridiculous like flu something went through my family and we were all just like horribly ill, stuck at home, and my sisters were binge watching The OC, and I was sick with them, so I. I was like, what are you guys watching? Oh, I'll, I'll watch it with you. And and it's like, it's actually 
like pretty well written. There's there's some great characters. It's really funny at points. You know, some some good heartfelt moments. <laughs> but the main female character, her name's Marissa Cooper. She was who I had in mind reading Hannah, and I don't particularly like Marissa either. Oh, <laughs> she she has the same kind of penchant for drama. Mm-hmm. She has the same kind of like manipulative and snotty attitude toward like the. Uh, the men in her life, um, especially her father, mm. uh, like there's, it, 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 it just it cracked me up when you said that she has this like Valley Girl kind of accent. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it's just I was talking about how the how the YA aspect of this book kind of brought me out of it and how I didn't like it, but I feel like this is the quintessential part of it that is YA. Hmm. So why do I like Hannah so much? It, it does make me a little confused. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like again, if if I, if I met her face to face in real life, I would I would just probably roll my eyes and walk away. But <laughs> with the context well, that I got of her, I will say she has a ton of development in this book. Like at first, she she's super superficial. Even even knowing that she does like all these um martial arts and she goes to the dojo and all this stuff it it <laughs> seems like like a little extra but then at the a end of extra. the book you realize that she actually is very skilled and she's got a brain <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's so, the thing is like she literally walks the walk that's the thing about hannah mm-hmm. it's not all on the surface she takes these lessons very seriously she takes her father very seriously that's part of her relationship with her father and how she expresses all of that mm-hmm. With all of her talents, because she has clearly worked very hard for them. So she, even though she kind of writes it down and, and and conducts herself, or at least presents herself as somebody who dismisses all of that, with what she shows, she takes all of it to heart. And so I think she's a lot deeper than she leads everyone, oh, even yeah. herself, on to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She's playing roles. Um, uh, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's good at... I mean, she's good at manipulating people. She's good at including herself, see sure. herself as something that she maybe necess- uh, isn't necessarily. Um, I, I do have, of course, this is this is an Illuminae Files book, so Drew has to have a hot take. Okay, <laughs> um, are we done with Hannah? Can we move on to a different character? Yeah, I sure. was just uh, typing up another note on Nick right now. Who do you want to go into? I want to move on to Falk. Okay. Oh, oh, Falk, really? Okay, and. And this is this is my hot take. The most compelling part of Hannah is her relationship with her father, to me. Mm-hmm. And Falk kills her father, like, from the get-go, right? Yep. Literally walks in the atrium, who's in charge, boom. Yep. In a very weird way, I read it as Falk becoming a twisted father figure replacement for Hannah over the course of this book. Yes. I agree completely. Especially he Almost gives like her an pet father. He he calls her Bumblebee. <gasps> mhm. I just mm-hmm. you just blew my mind. And and the way they converse is reminiscent of the way she talked with her father earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. There are moments of, you know, this, like, earning fatherly respect 
from uh, you know from Falk where where she does something particularly clever. There are moments where you know he's commenting on her relationship with Jackson uh, in in similar ways, mm-hmm. not not in similar terms, but in similar mannerisms as you know her father did earlier in the book. Like I totally saw, and this is why I like Falk so much as an antagonist. He's complicated. Mm-hmm. His motivations are super straightforward. Yeah, he's an evil dude. He's an operator, blah, blah, blah. But because he has this weird relationship with our protagonist, he became much more compelling for me than oh. any other character in the book. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say that you that you liked Falk as a character mm-hmm. because... I was, I mean, I, I have, like, I have notes here. I'm just going to be glowing about Falk. I love this guy as an antagonist. Honestly, he very, very nearly missed out on my top three, like, inclusion in my top three uh, for Ooh. our special episode, for our 100th bonus celebration wow. episode for my favorite really? antagonist of all time. He came so close. He's either fourth or fifth. I love this antagonist, even though, obviously, he's despicable overall as a character. You know. One of my favorite parts with him was when he makes his grand entrance into the, I don't know, yes. the atrium where yes. um, Donnelly's, mm-hmm. uh, kept the, what's his name? Um, Charles? Commander, Commander Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he goes, Charles, yeah. <laughs> he goes, who's in charge here? And Donnelly's like, oh, I am. He shoots him right in the Boom. face. Boom. Now who's in charge here? <laughs> that was yeah. such a great scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! It, yeah. it was it was such a great scene. The the also like the duality of this character. He's either calm or he's furious. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this this recurring line, this bliss every time he gets good news. Deep blue. And every ocean. time he gets he's struggling to control himself. We get calm blue oceans. <laughs> you know, he's he's so yep. so struggling. I just don't know what it is about this guy, but I love him as a villain. You know, like, mm-hmm. he's just so menacing. I feel like he steals every scene that he's in. You know, he's just so good. Well, he's extremely he's professional, too. You know, he he gets a job done. Like, that's his whole shtick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- I wrote down a, uh, my favorite line of his. And this is when Mercury, Silva, Corporal Silva, uh, Mercury, she... Uh, she says to him, who's your mommy, Travis? <clears throat> and he goes, Mercury, I have at least four local hostiles loose aboard this station. Of my 24 original team members, 12 are either dead or wounded. I have the voice of the goddamn resistance opening air vents and letting my neatly partitioned civvies out into the wild. A Shinobi-class drone fleet mere hours away, an inbound ship carrying living, breathing evidence of an atrocity on a scale not seen since the Cordova incursions, which was committed by the very company that pays my f***ing mortgage. And best of all, a possible infestation of hostile parasitic alien life forms in the motherfucking reactor area if ever under god there was a time not to fuck with me now is it <laughs> yes gold pure antagonistic gold i just ah so good so good yeah i'm so glad that you liked him i was expecting to come on here and combat the both of you over how great Travis Falk was as an antagonist. Thank you guys. He's just oh, 
great. Yeah, like, it's... I, I have, like, a complicated relationship with this book because I didn't like so many of the characters, but he really helped, like, carry this book for me. He really did. So excited. Okay, cool. All right, anything else about uh, Travis J. Falk? Said um, about everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my main point was, like, the father, father figure thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm I'm glad that uh, I don't know maybe maybe my hot takes aren't as hot as I thought. Like I <laughs> my my takes on on Illuminate came off a little cooler than I anticipated. <laughs> hey, hey I agreed. Well. I think with Danny both of immediately them. she's like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah I I don't know. Cool. Shall shall we move on to Nick? Yeah. Though? Let's discuss Nicholas Malakoff. Another character drew. Deeply disliked. Oh, real. No. Oh, <laughs> okay, I liked so, Nick. <laughs> yeah, me too. I really like Nick, and <clears throat> it's a little weird for me because on the surface, he's the kind of person that I normally hate. He's got all kinds of tattoos, which the tattoos I'm not against. I, I have one. I definitely want many more tattoos. Totally fine with, but his tattoos stand for terrible things. He smokes. He's aggressive, and he doesn't know how to take a hint. On paper, I f***ing hate this guy. But this entire book, I'm holding my, my hardcover now, this entire book is a testament to how a character can completely change based on the context that you have. At least that's what Nick represents for me. You know, Nick Malakoff is a, is, a, is a character with so many layers that it just, every time I get back to him, it's just, I, I'm excited for it. He's... I liked Nick. I really liked him as a character. I don't really say I would be friends with him in real life as a person, but as a character, I liked him. Well, I like Nick because he never breaks character. He is the same guy in every scene. Even when he's dying, he's literally cracking jokes and wanting to like touch Hannah's yeah. butt yep. and all of this stuff. Um, he's He's a funny guy. He's like the the joke class clown kind of guy but he he has this like tough guy exterior from being in the Dom Najav and he's got all these tattoos and it makes him look like he's been through all sorts of things which he has but they're not what you expect so I don't know I kind of saw him as, I really as too, like him. too cool for school he's not the class clown because he's too cool for school the class clown thing I, I felt about Ezra Mason and I know hmm. I don't think either of you guys are really a big fan of Ezra Mason, and I was. With with Nick, I got something. I liked a little Ezra different. more than I liked Nick. You liked Ezra more than Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I started. I didn't particularly you. like Ezra, but I like him more than Nick. I feel like Nick has a better, uh, fuller character than Ezra did. Yeah, I would Ezra be friends with Ezra. Of... Yes, I would be mm-hmm. friends with Ezra and not with Nick. But I think Nick had a much deeper, more complex story, and he's more engaging as a character, for sure. So this is why I like I have a really hard time figuring out my feelings toward Gemina. Mm. You are right. Nick is a better written, like has a a more uh, like complete character arc. He's a rounder character. There's more like dynamic elements to his his arc in the book. But I don't like him. <laughs> and so it's like, I uh, on a 
on an academic critical level, I can I can take a step back from this book and be like, yes, this character is well written. But when I'm reading the story, I'm like I'm exasperated all the time. I'm like, this guy is obnoxiously horny and desperate. <laughs> like it, it's it, it, if I had read this book when I was sixteen. I probably wouldn't have liked Nick for most of the book, but then when he finally got together with Katie at the end, I would have been like, oh, that's that's great. Like, I really, really enjoyed, like, how that turned out. As it was, I was like... I was really annoyed because the... the most important shift in their relationship happened with not Nick. Mm-hmm. With, happened with Universe B Nick. Mm-hmm. And then somehow their relationship stayed the same... Even though it's not the same person. Like, obviously, you know, it's mirrored and, and the impression well, we're given is that they basically did the same yeah. things in both universes. But, like, but it still undercut some of the the satisfaction to the climax of their relationship arc that it wasn't really Nick. Oh. And that that Nick died. And then she gets the previous Nick. When that Nick left, when he went through the worm, wormhole... They were not even close to that, like, relationship point. You know? But they also developed that like, on the other had, side of the had... portal. It, yeah. it just feels to yes, me like... I, I know. I'm, I'm... It cements that, that, that they're kind of I'm... meant to be in this relationship. Ugh. That's just sappy. It is <laughs> sure. sappy. Hey, it's super sappy. YA romance. It's allowed. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that this is what I'm saying. Like, it's... I'm not saying it's poorly written. Good, okay. Good point. Well, a, Good point. a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But, like... Uh, <laughs> But I don't like the characters, <laughs> and so it's you don't like need to. you don't need to. Uh, yeah, it, it and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about this more when we get to our favorite scenes. I had a really hard time picking favorite scenes for this book because, generally speaking, the scenes that stand out the most to me when I'm reading books carry emotional punch, have have like real meaning for characters. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about a lot of the characters in this book, or or I actively disliked them. So there weren't many scenes that stood out to me, and like and and this is this is kind of encapsulated with Nick, where there are clearly moments in this book written to drive home that emotional punch that just didn't land with me, and a lot of them were with Nick because, like seriously, he he's he's an obnoxious, horny, desperate kid who's like struggling to find like a, a place in in his world that he feels comfortable and and I'm like yeah no I I understand the plight I just like I was annoyed by well, it on the subject of those favorite <laughs> scenes of yours I, I I will agree with a lot of what you just said and I'll also uh, add that the vast majority of what I'll be talking about in my favorite scenes is still with spectacle there wasn't really anything in Gemina that hit me in the heart quite the way that you know no the the sacrifice of james mcnulty did mm-hmm. you know there's nothing or or the revelation that moment when aiden reveals to katie that aiden has been talking to her mm-hmm. the whole time right. and not as or even or you know like yeah yeah there were there were a half dozen emotionally powerful moments in illuminae Far beyond anything in Gemina for me. But 
I still think I probably liked Chemina a little more than Illumina. It's just so good with a spectacle, just because, in my opinion. Yeah. Yes, like the, the plot, the premise, the atmosphere was so powerful. Much more compelling, like, villain. We didn't really have a singular villain in in Illumina. And, and here we have Falk, and, and Falk was just... He, he drove this narrative for a lot of the book. Like, and... and I, maybe I should have brought this up in, in style, actually. I did, I thought the the climax list was a little bit of a letdown. Okay, depend like what what do you mean by the climax? But it was like once it got to the mirror universe thing, it was cool. It was well written, but it was less compelling to me because Falk, the the major like carrier of this story for me, kind of got fridged. <laughs> yeah, you know, so like he did. I don't know, we're, we're digressing super hard from Nick, but... <laughs> oh, that's like, right, we're still like characters with Nick. But this is emblematic, I guess, of just, like, how how my reading experience of Gemina went. Like, it's like, I liked this book a lot, and I really didn't like this book a lot. <laughs> I love like, how you're so torn on this. Good, it's good for, uh, you know, discussion. Sorry, uh, Danny, Nick, are we still on Nick? Anything else about Nick? Yeah, Nick. Well... I mean, you keep talking about how he's this desperate guy, but he's he's just tenacious. That's just his character. He uh, he hangs on to I... a thing. Like, oh, some of the texts with Ella and Nick were they drove me crazy. Like when when she kept changing his nickname and he was like getting mad about it. But they're oh, trying yeah, to talk yeah. about very serious things, and he's just stuck on that. But that's kind of what I like about Nick is that he's he's I don't know. He's always Nick. He's he's never gonna like go and and change and be this like super serious, super um, deep guy. Like I don't know that yeah, his part of his tenacity just comes across as like as obnoxious to me. At least at the beginning. Oh, it's definitely obnoxious. Oh, for yes. sure. Yeah. It's 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 that's even more than that. It's like he. Oh, it's like a little icky, right? Like he, he's icky. Nicky. I feel like he crosses lines. Like. Oh, if we want to talk about icky, <laughs> I mean, Hannah was playing both of those guys, Jackson yeah, and this is... Nick, against each other. Yes. Yeah. So, so, and my first, also, why I didn't like yeah. Hannah? Yeah. <laughs> my first few reads, I, I definitely read that, and I oh. had a lot to complain about because, again, I knew a lot of girls like this in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, that would that they were just say one thing to one guy, say one thing to another guy. And it was, mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't like it. they don't know I, what they want. In my first few reads, I also had a very, very negative impression of Hannah. But I also came to realize, again, like, I tried to, like, pull myself yeah, like back she, and realize... She had Nick on the hook. This is, these are teenagers. These are all teenagers. So I really, mm-hmm. I shouldn't use that. I, I should really look at the character as yep. a whole, and I changed my perspective on Hannah as a whole. With Nick, I can't quite detach myself enough from his complete obliviousness and his i don't know at the very beginning but again as a character super deep super layered overall i would still prefer to read nick and i had there were so many moments in this book that i felt were emotionally impactful in the way that i guess drew you didn't really get as much as illumina illumina illuminae pardon me well 
No. Another thing about now. Nick is he <laughs> like, has this background in the Dom Najav, which was a right. really, really cool organization, I thought. He, I yeah. loved the, the story of behind their tattoos, how they're beautiful flowers and women and angels, but they mean these horrible, terrible deeds that they've all done. And I really liked, you know, Handsome Mike and just the, the discussion between them all. Um, I, I, I enjoyed Nick's scenes with with the Domnajov characters. <laughs> you call me boy again, and you and me, we go round and round. You feel me? That was, yeah. I, I don't know what it is about that line, but every time I hear it, I actually smile. I think, that was a really cool one-liner. There was there was great banter uh, with them. It, it, you know, it, whether it was you know the scene when they're implanting the cows <laughs> or, or when they're going into the hangar... Mm-hmm. You know, like there's great banter. With, it felt with, with them, and and what? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think I was about to say the same thing you were. Like, it, it felt very genuine. It felt it felt real. Yeah. Like, like that's the kind of banter that you know goes on when I'm like on the road with my hockey team mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, it's uh, it's that sort of like brotherly ribbing mm-hmm. that comes out of being in high stress situations together yeah. and forming those yeah. bonds. And, and and one thing that I think it was uncle uh yeah it was um oh god what was uncle Mike's name uh handsome Hans Mike. Mike. There was one Double moment G. when he's I think I want to say he's like petting the cow and he's about to insert the needle and he goes he says something yeah. along the lines of you know there are a lot of technical ways that this can be done but mm-hmm. the true artists they do it by feel. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what I am. I am an artiste, and it <laughs> did smack to me quite a lot of like how, you know, people that I knew earlier in life who would grow a lot of pot, they would say that exact same thing about their plants. You know, there's something that's just <laughs> so authentic about this interaction with them, and, and just the members of the Domnajov. That you guys are absolutely right. They do read like like I would love to to read a, a Domnajov standalone mm. yeah know? that would be really fun like space so mobsters I, I, I have to say this <laughs> since you guys have said the name like 20 times in the last couple of minutes <laughs> so in the audiobook they say dom najov yes. dom najov yeah it's russian house of knives yeah i like i definitely read that as dom Nayav oh. <laughs> with the soft j really how is it spelled? Yeah. I still haven't seen it, seen it spelled. It's with a J. N N A J O V. Oh, and and like just just from like, like my off. experiences as a, a hockey player and a hockey fan, and like all the Russians, like I've I've seen so many Russian names that have J O V at the end, and it's Yov. Huh. Well, it might have been like an audio, but I don't speak like, Russian, yeah. so it might have been just an audio yeah, it, it, error. It's just like this like cognitive dissonance <laughs> thing with me right now, where like I <laughs> I read that so strongly as I like mean, Nayav. And <laughs> I speak very basic, basic introductory Russian. Like I can, ex- I can introduce myself, I can ask someone else's name, I can ask for directions and, and thank them. That's about it. I, That's about it. I actually... I'm gonna need to uh, to hit up one of my buddies, uh, my friend John. He's he's actually just started reading Illuminae yeah. because he knew we were doing this really episodes. sweet. And 
he he was a linguist in army intelligence very good with languages and he does know a fair amount of russian um i'm I'm gonna have to ask him how like you know how he uh pronounces that (laughs) shall we uh but yeah yeah move on to jackson merrick can we do ella first okay please (laughs) okay all right start us off so ella i wanted to like ella i really wanted to like ella the idea of her character is great it's so good you know the the trauma that she went through because of the plague the the imagery of her as the spider behind the web mm-hmm. puns intended <laughs> yep, you know very much yeah. intended but she was just so obnoxious. But she was fifteen. <laughs> it was her for me, know, it was the video like, journals to her her fan Zoe. I was like, hmm. I kinda skipped those when I come Mr. to Mr. Biggles. Now. I, I didn't even mind those as much as like the way she interacted with Nick. That's what drove me up the wall the most. Uh Danny, you mentioned it before. Like <clears throat> they're in the middle of this just like super Mm -hmm. super intense conversation like very important and she's out there like trying to fuck with him with his username Mm -hmm. and i'm like shut up like (laughs) and she went kept going off on them whenever they would use all caps and stuff it's like uh this is kind of a serious situation i don't think you should really care about that (laughs) yeah and 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 her teenage kind of jargon started off endearing um uh, like I think I sent you guys a screenshot uh, early in the book, you know, on on the logs. Anytime there's a WhisperNet thing, the first page there's their net mm-hmm. bar, friends online, newsfeed, <laughs> yeah. diary, and appointments. And it was like the first one of those after her um uh, conversation with Nick, where she she's like poor poor cow cows oh, or yeah. whatever. There was a typo where it said dairy and appointments. I have yep. a feeling that that was and, intentional. And I'm like. I want that to be intentional. Because it wasn't anywhere else. I I checked. After you mentioned it, I checked every single one. And that was the only one that was dairy. I would never have caught that. But it it wasn't Nick, though. So that's why I'm like, why would it be dairy for Hannah? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I want it to be, though. (laughs) Like, I think that would be such a clever, hilarious pun. But I I feel like that was just a typo. (laughs) Um, but, But it was like... At, at the time, though, like, I was laughing about that. I was like, oh, that's great. Like, like the way she's like, oh, poor little cow-cow is like, give it another 100, 150 pages. And I was just like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, stop. That's like how I feel about Lyft. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's exactly how yeah. I feel about Lyft. Very similar. Very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's like another freaking instance of this book where I have this cognitive dissonance of the idea of this character is so great and for the most part is executed very, very well and the personality drives me up the wall. Now, let me (laughs) give a little context for Ella, okay? Okay. When I I was her age, or 14, 15, I, I discovered IRC, Internet Relay Chat, or whatever it's called, um, which is like chat rooms and you do all this like mm-hmm. ascii art like the the ship that she would oh, do okay. and everything so mm-hmm. i was her mm-hmm. age 
I Ella was me at that age. Like I would do all that nonsense and I would just do it for no reason. Even if it didn't fit the conversation that was going on at that age, I didn't care. I was going to do it. <laughs> so Ella resonated with me a lot. I, I really feel like she was accurate for that age and being, sure, being yeah. that involved with computers and she's got all these inside jokes with herself that nobody else really understands. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. I really, I like Ella too. Yeah, same. Yeah. Overall, yeah. Ella for me is still a very likable character, but I think that might be a, a big part in due to the audiobook. the actress for Ella. Wonderful. Oh yeah. She did a she, great she job. Nailed yep. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ella, Ella was like, when I met her and for the first little while, I, I liked her, and then she just like kind of wore me mm-hmm. down. Yeah. By the end of the book, too clever for and, her own good. <laughs> and and yeah, just her affectations and the I don't know, but but like there, I still I I guess like I liked the core idea of her character and and I really appreciated what it said about her that she did survive the Lanima mm-hmm. attack and dragged herself through the vents like halfway across the station mm-hmm. to the reactor yep. and like like that says a lot about what she's really made of at her core you know like like, like she's a well-written character mm-hmm. again like they're they're all well-written characters I just like they, they all annoy me <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah I feel bad saying this but like <laughs> on my first read um they did not annoy me as much as this particular read they as i was reading it this one mm. i was like okay this again <laughs> yeah it was a little tiring yeah but uh yeah that's that's all i had on ella okay so we can move to jackson okay. for you rob okay let's talk about jackson merrick aka Samuel Maginot, a.k.a. Rapier. Actually, uh, Drew, first, I, I do want to pass this off to you because you had texted me, or you texted us yesterday, yeah. with a few concerns about how the whole revelation was handled with him as his alternate uh, identity. So I'll, I'll give you the chance to, to state your concern, and then I'll explain to make things straight. Yeah. So, like, I, obviously, I like by the end of the book, I understand like what it was. At the moment of the revelation, it was extremely, extremely confusing. And, like, like I get, in retrospect, I get why they did it the way they did. But, you know, where, where it's like, oh no, his real name is Sam, Sam Maginot. And that's how they can, like, foreshadow it you know, by having it be like, oh, you suspect Sam Wheaton and Leanne is calling him Sam in the email, so you just assume it's Sam Wheaton the whole time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, great. Except that was really the only foreshadowing for it. And and so in the moment, I was like, okay, there were two options to me that that were like... Uh, immediately what I thought of. Neither one of them was the real situation. The first one was that um, it was that like Sam Wheaton was Jackson the whole time. 
And I'm like, well, this is this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've seen Sam and Hannah interact. And then the second is like, well, if if like that's just his name, you know, and and so, but if that's the case, why is the transcriptionist referring to him as Merrick the whole time until this moment of revelation? It's like that, and that just feels like the author's cheating, and it does kind of feel like the author's cheating. Like, why is the transcriptionist referring to him by his alias when? The transcriptionist knows who he is. Like, that that's just... That's the inherent problem with this. Is that, like, if this is really a document being submitted for a, like, massive nuclear court case that's going to bring down this insane corporation, you don't craft this, like, bullshit drama to be like ooh who's the traitor it's like no you just say this dude's the but freaking traitor like the Illuminate group is all about drama I mean they yeah. they hack the PA system in the courthouse and talk over yeah, it and that, like that's that their, annoys yeah me. but that's their their thing and that's yeah. the driving force of I mean, the book <laughs> yeah the whole yeah, Illuminate and, group and that's, being like I don't know being obnoxious with their drama that, that has bothered me a few times especially in the audiobook there's a really deep effect driven voice uh that that you get sometimes with the the illuminate group as a whole but it still says very childish things you know it's so this right here is my biggest problem with the series overall it feels extremely manufactured mm-hmm. like it, you can feel the author's hands so heavily on the story that it robs a lot of the import from the revelations because it's like you were purposely withholding this for the only good reason for it to be withheld was you wanted to say, ha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. I don't know because as an author, think about who, who this audience is, you know, who it's written for. I mean, the vast majority of, of those who it's written for are not going to realize this. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It's still something the authors are deliberately doing. I don't have a... I see what you're saying. I don't have a problem with it, though. I feel like it's uh, fine with the way that the book is written. I feel like Everything you said, Drew, is correct. But it didn't bother me. Like, look, maybe maybe it just ultimately comes down to Drew McCaffrey is not the audience (laughs) for the Elite. Oh, it's probably true. I'm still going to have more to say on that front. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but like, I am not also, but, as a 29-year-old guy, I, mean, I am not... Despite this, I'm still enjoying reading the books. Oh, hey, they're awesome. Like, I'm glad we're doing this. I tore through... Like, I, I didn't have a whole lot of reading time this week. I picked up Gemina, opened the first page, Tuesday evening, was almost immediately... Uh, uh, my My time was taken up. I read, like... 22 pages of it. It's a 660-page book. Picked it up Wednesday evening. Read 380 pages in a sitting. (laughs) Went to bed. Woke up. Worked a crazy day Thursday. Opened it up as soon as I got off and read the rest of the book in a sitting. Like It's a page-turner. I enjoyed reading the book. It is absolutely a page-turner. But when I take that step back and start being like critical, being Drew, <laughs> English major writer Drew, <laughs> that's when I start getting like 
worked up. Yeah, and that's why I think where the wiggle room comes <laughs> from with the, the whole young adult audience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Rob, you mentioned the um, the little like notes that kind of start some of the um, some of the documents. Oh, the Illuminate voice. The actual yeah. Like, so that voice yeah. is I. I figured it out. It's Katie with the voice changer on her on yeah. her voice, and she, yeah. that's why it sounds like a girl is speaking. Right in Which this way, but it's like this deep man voice. Be- yeah, because the voice is so badass and like heavily modified. Like, one of but them it that still reminds comes me of it is like when she goes, this. "Not so much," and Not it's it's so easily much. Katie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that kind of it just I don't know. Maybe that would have been better on on text in that specific instance. <laughs> but we're still on. Sorry, we're still on on. Uh, Jackson Merrick, right? Real quick. Yeah, Jackson. A whole yeah, sky yeah, of we, different stars. I, I again, Dude. cut us off the rails. <laughs> but you know that promising that to Hannah on their anniversary, his regrets, you know, about how the situation turned out, his dilemma of it's it, it, what she tells him: it's not what you say, it's what you do. Uh, his sacrifice, his promise kept. Again, a whole sky of dif- different stars as she escapes through the wormhole. I really liked how that character turned out. It was very neat, and I thought it was a beautifully written bit of storytelling and part of that love triangle that we referred to earlier. I don't like Jackson. I didn't buy it. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not buy that ending from him. He was he was so He's a weasel. And, Wasn't and unapologetic. Uh throughout the book and then and then he has this moment at the end where he's like oh i'm gonna sacrifice like i didn't i didn't buy it what are you talking about he was like he was told that or at least sorry what i should say is he thought he was gonna be able to save katie and when he learned that she was going to die he you know stood up and then he just got completely obliterated by callie like he was already I don't know. He was he, rejecting it. He was already fighting back. When he had that conversation, the conversation when when you said Katie, uh, but you meant Hannah. Oh, I'm sorry. I um, did mean Hannah, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. I've almost done that like five times. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when when Hannah figured out he was the mole, yeah. that conversation, he knew she was going to get killed. He mm-hmm. knew she was going to yeah. get killed, and he still tried to convince her. Well, I think there is a part where there is a part kind of later on, I think, where he's pleading with um, with uh, Cerberus to I thought you were going to let her live and I could have her and stuff, which is so so delusional, like how he could think that it doesn't make sense to me. Destroys him and he can't even speak and he's just left like moaning and turning on the ground while they go and kill, you know, Hannah, supposedly. I don't know. This whole promise, the, the fact that he's willing to stay behind and keep that wormhole open and to watch her go hand in hand with Nick and still do this for her to keep his promise, a whole sky of different stars and the way that turned out. I still li- like, again, I, I wouldn't like the guy. I wouldn't hang out with him in real life, but I liked how he ended. I didn't like how he ended. I liked how Hannah ended, where she went through the wormhole and got to see a whole sky of different stars. Well, well speaking of that that ending there, I, this is my last point about Merrick, though. What a writer's nightmare. Especially, Drew, I think you will be able to appreciate this. 
his final moments. Imagine going through all of that and sacrificing your life to save, the, I mean, holy shit, two universes, but you only have eight minutes to write your suicide note. No, two suicide notes, really. Like, just, ah, oh, the time constraint alone is, an, is is the biggest nightmare, I think. Yeah, yeah, that would suck. Four minutes to write your, your suicide note and save the universe. That's just... To do... To, to write your suicide note and then four minutes to write a, a creative uh, short <laughs> fiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you're... A believable supervisor. one that fits and actually makes the person believe what you're saying. Yeah. That... Yeah. Kind of stretching belief there a little bit, yeah, I would say. It... Now, he did get to do some copy pasting, I admit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hey, he did write in the end. Just, I have to give him that. Yeah. So. I didn't like Jackson. Um, yeah, I, I didn't either. I, I don't have many more character notes. I, I want to say, like, I liked Chief Grant. He was he was fine. Yeah, I loved Chief Grant. He's totally He's Katie's dad. dad. <laughs> Getting yeah. her mother yeah. boards. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, that, that little bit of that, that bit of humanity since you brought that up, Danny. It was just, oh, God. With, uh... The, even even like with the questions themselves, what the the questions themselves contain, it's like what is your mm-hmm. what was your biggest argument or what what caused your biggest potato argument? And it's like rehydrated potato salad. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Because it's just it's something that's yeah. just so ridiculous. It can only be true. There's just again that mm-hmm. that flavor of humanity in there that I just I feel like these authors, whichever one of them it is, or it could be both of them, managed to insert these little random moments that somehow feel so authentic, and that was one of them. Yeah, they're very good at creating believable human characters. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yes. Uh, let's see, I'm pretty much done with my uh, character points. I had some on Aiden, but I can get that out of the way next episode. Uh, I, I, my last character note is on Callie. Oh. Um, Agent Carolina. Another good antagonist. Yeah, yeah. Good antagonist. Um, I, I liked that she had this like single-minded demented violence um she's she's obviously nowhere near as horrific as bairn in the acts of king but that single-mindedness and and that uh, desire to inflict pain mm-hmm. reminded me of bairn and, and her from yeah. uh, from heroes die and, and her righteous attitude about it like when she tells hannah at the very end she just goes no i'm just better than you you know, she she throws her guns down. She wants to do this hand to hand. She wants to feel it. She's so, like, I don't know what it is. She's so animalistic in some ways. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. animalistic is a perfect word for her. When um, Cerberus yep. was trying to control her and keep her on a leash, basically, and yep. she's just seeing red, and she won't listen to orders, and she's just gonna go and do her own thing and hunt Hannah down. I mean, she's um, yeah. Alpha she's squad an leader. animal. She's she, an she animal. has to be good at what she does, and yet she manages to to completely forget all of it. Yeah, just for of her, her revenge. Yes, yeah. Very driven. Very but like very engaging as a character for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, shall we go into our just miscellaneous points and then our favorite scenes? Yeah, I only have one miscellaneous point, um, and it's going to be super obnoxious and nitpicky so i apologize (laughs) (laughs) okay 
Like, so so the whole premise of this universe A, universe B, you know, the that the universe is freaking out because matter has gone from one universe into the other. Mm-hmm. And to restabilize it, you have to get all that matter back into the other universe. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it works for Nick in Universe B. It does not work for Nick in Universe A. Because Nick in Universe A was shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And his blood, his matter, is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but it could be on a small enough scale that it doesn't represent enough mass to cause the universe to chain react. Like, it could just be a few part. Of, you know... It, it could. The blood it itself could. makes up one did not say millionth of the mass of the Betty Boop and Nick's body. They... So it, they did not say that. And sure, the blood sure. On the journal if it were degrees, yeah. if it were degrees, then the corsage wouldn't have mattered. Mm-hmm. It would have just been like, oh, you need to get the Betty Boop back. No, 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 necessarily. And, and, and next body. I feel like you can but write like, in world the the, the the science and the mathematics. Like the dude, say, like, the dude lost like he bled out from a gunshot wound. He lost like sure, mm-hmm. probably over a liter of blood. Yeah, it's a lot of matter. Well over, and what? and they didn't have to deal with that, but they had to deal with the flower. Well, the, the flower was just something they could deal with. The blood they can't. But I mean, like, compared to the mass of the Betty Boop, that's but, like... But my point is, my point is, Aiden never talks about degrees of this. He he just says, mm-hmm. you have to get the mass that went over back into the other one. And yes, I know I'm being super, super nitpicky. But this was in my mind, and this was part of why the climax of the book, like, didn't hit super well for me. Because I was just like... The logic doesn't light up. I yeah, love that that's you're being this nitpicky, am. though. Because this is normally how nitpicky I always am. And I had <laughs> I had a specific point that was exactly as nitpicky as this for the previous episode that I never really brought up because we were running long. But I think I'll bring it up in the next episode. That's just a bit of a oh, teaser. But there okay. is something also nitpicky yeah. that I want to bring up. It, it was like I, I had to make a conscious decision during the climax of the mm-hmm. book to say... All right, I I need to turn my brain off, suspend my disbelief, mm-hmm. and keep going. Sure, I would just say, hey, they could just say, Betty Boop was thousands of times his mass. You know, it's just a critical mass point thing. You know, a little bit will be storms, yeah. but then but if that were the case, of... if that were the case, then then like she shouldn't have had to bother even bringing his body back. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I one hundred percent agree. I I had the same kind of a thought, maybe not exactly the same thing, but like the effects of everything that Nick B did in Nick A's universe. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just it like like you said, it didn't line up for me exactly. I didn't think about the blood, and I definitely didn't think about the blood in the journal or anything. But yeah, that that makes sense. I just love mm-hmm. it. Because this is how nitpicky I always get. <laughs> and for once, I'm not. One part I really liked about that, well, though, was when the two the two um, drone, Kennedy drone fleets came together. And oh, they yeah. were trying to get in at the same time in the same place. And they just disintegrated. That yeah, was amazing. They annihilated I that. each other. <laughs> well, so, Rob, I mean, this says something about the writing in this book. That you're normally super nitpicky like this. But... You weren't mm-hmm. for this book. In this case. That says something about the writing. You know, that the this story resonated on such a powerful level with you 
that you were able to flip that switch to off. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a very salient point. Mm-hmm. I didn't consider it that way, but I agree yeah. 100%. That, that says something very yeah. good about these books. Yeah. That that the authors can reach a, a normally critical reader and, and get him to say, you know, I'm not being critical about this. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy it. Honestly, I think that's something about YA in general, um, because they tend to gloss over things that you might normally be mm-hmm. like, wait, what about this? Um and so this is a very, yeah. very good example of good YA writing, in my opinion. Mm, I agree. Yeah, and, and that went through my mind when I had made that decision where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I had to, and part of it was telling myself, it's a YA book. They're writing this for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Most of their audience aren't going to be stopping to examine all of the, like, you know. Yeah like metaphysical details of what it means to have matter crossing over from universe to universe. And like, (laughs) they're going to be all invested in the idea of, Oh my gosh, real Nick is still alive. We just need to swap his body and then everything's (laughs) going to be good again. Like, you know, so when you can get that enthusiasm out of a reader, like awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll give it. You know, that's something I, I doubt I could do. Oh, same. Like, 100% same. And uh, I'll give a little hint. I can, apparently the only, uh, apparently the only strong emotion I can elicit from readers is pure rage <laughs> about a... Uh, uh, <laughs> I know. I like to think that the ones <laughs> who really like what you say just comment on Facebook. Both of you. Mm-hmm. Both of you had the same reaction. <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Miscellaneous points, though, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll just I'll skip on to my next one. Oh, this one, this I just want to bring up how great this scene was. Again, uh, I think this is one that, Danny, you brought up about an hour ago now. And it almost made my, my favorite scenes, but it didn't quite. So I just I need to bring it up now. Who is in command of this jump station? Mm-hmm. Donnelly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. weighs the risks and he speaks up, I am. And then Falk just, bang, shoots him in the head. And then this is all for the after-action report from Jackson Merrick still. And then just the horror and the silence. And then the repeated question, who is in command of this jump station? And then no one responds because that answer mm-hmm. is clear. It's just the amount of information that Falk gets across in one sentence repeating that sentence mm-hmm. but meaning something else entirely and that's something else entirely that everybody immediately understands i just thought it's top-notch scene writing i would have loved to see the looks on jay Kristoff or amy kaufman's faces when they the scene first was laid to page it was it would it, it must have felt so satisfying mm-hmm. thanks rob oh damn <laughs> <laughs> I I actually want to talk about that too. I was watching um, Man of Steel yesterday. Man of with Steel, my husband. Yeah, so 2013 Superman. I just movie, watched that Man like Steel. six days ago. What is so yeah. when when Zod comes up and he's like, "Who's in charge here?" I was thinking about Travis Falk. Oh my god! Did. I was like, "Oh my god!" Is he going to shoot him in the face? No, he didn't. <laughs> It didn't even occur to me when I when I watched it. Like I a had week to ago. pause the movie and recite the scene to my husband. That's that's what kind of impression that made. That's on awesome me. though. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. I didn't. I I'm going to shut up. <laughs> no, I, I 
I, I knew it was going to happen, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Damn. But it wasn't even in... Okay. I'll just... <laughs> uh, question. How did we feel about uh, Cricket's joke about the wolves and the beer? Oh, I kind of liked it. Danny. I really kind of liked it. Danny? I, I'm drawing a blank. I don't remember what the joke is. Uh, the, uh, the wolves are coming. The wolves are coming, and they ate him. Got to go. And in the they basement. drank his beer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I told that joke to my brother. I love that joke. Listen, I love that joke. It is such. It is, it is such a commentary on expectation, and mm-hmm. it just, just when, there's so many layers to it. Every time I hear that joke, I listen raps, and I'm, it's, it's it's one of those <laughs> jokes that. It's not conventional. It's definitely like esoteric. But when you peel it apart, there's so much to it. And I told that joke to my brother and uh, two other squad mates I had last night when I was playing Heist in Grand Theft Auto online. And just the crickets I got afterwards, the total silence. It was chef's kiss. It was <laughs> perfect. I loved it. It did exactly what I wanted it to do. I, I did laugh uh, at that joke. I, I kind of knew it, like I, I saw it coming, and I was like, oh, please be what I think is coming, <laughs> and then it was, I was like, yes! <laughs> I'm bummed because it didn't land for me this time in the, my read, I actually completely glossed over it, uh, it but I do about... remember it from my first read. I, it's I remember... all about going into something, expecting a twist, yeah. and then you get the twist, but it twists the twist, and it gives you exactly <laughs> what you wanted in the first place, <laughs> and it's like... It's just, yeah. it says everything about how you expect. It's just, oh, I just, uh, I'm going to be telling that one for years to come. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, see here. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, security analyst, uh, 7213 has this one moment that I loved when he's uh, tra- transcribing, uh, I think it was alpha squad. It was Callie and she, she's talking to ghost and cricket. And though he says their conversation is inaudible over the pop music, the body language kind of speaks for itself. Allow me to take a stab ghost. What the yeah. ever living yeah. are you guys doing here? Callie, this is a very big gun and I am very, very angry cricket. She certainly looks angry. Like, these kinds of exchanges, they bring out the humanity of even the Baytech spec ops, you know, and obviously the colorful view of Analyst ID 7213. I just, that scene sticks out to me every time. I like it. That is a really good point. Christoph and Kaufman did a great job of establishing the humanity and the camaraderie among the squads of the uh, Baytech auditors. Mm -hmm. Like, you can tell these are people who have been working together under high stress situations. Like the, there's an understanding of what it means to be a teammate and to like form those bonds of like, uh, you know, mutual, uh, success or failure, you know, to the point where some of, some of the Baytech operatives, I, I liked more than the main characters in the book. Like, (laughs) The, the the turns of phrase, the cynicism, the sarcasm, the like it full stop, it reminds me a lot of you know, like locker room talk mm-hmm. with like you know hockey teams that I've played on. You know, the It's very and, and aliens the second alien movie. <laughs> the Marines. <laughs> I, oh. I haven't seen the second one. <gasps> oh no, but, but the yeah. James Cameron one, right? Aliens, I think. Hold on. I don't know. Oh. 
I don't look at me. I don't know crap. Well, if you if you liked that camaraderie, (laughs) that's a good one to watch. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a similar thing that you get in the Black Company. Boom! Nailed it. Aliens. James uh, James Cameron, nineteen eighty six. Cool. Sorry. Yeah, like, like, Rob, like, did did the Baytech squads, like, did they remind you of the Black Company? I was going to ask you if they did. I swear to God, I was waiting for you to finish yeah, that sentence to ask did. you if you had any Black Company vibes, like, sci-fi Black Company vibes from this squad, from Fox 3 yeah. units. Alpha, Charlie, and Beta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Good. We don't have a goblin and one-eye group, but but we have this the kind of... You know, banter, the kind of sniping yeah. that, that goes on between the, Crooker and 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 uh, Elmo the, or Merkin The well-rounded and chemistry or, that yeah. fits. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about the Lanima. Let's put this down okay. on Rob's list of worst ways one can possibly die in sci-fi. I mean, facehuggers, we were just talking about aliens. Facehuggers are pretty bad. But having a snake lamprey with four twisted necks and puckered mouths clamp over my eyes and my mouth and my ears and drinking my brain <laughs> might be a worse way to go. Like, imagine. Yeah, but dude, you're high. <laughs> imagine being ballpark. You don't the feel it. The one doing the spacewalk and he found a Lanima in his suit. And the author's decision to make this happen over comms from his squad's mate, his squad mate's point of view, like. Oh, so creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely get space it away. horror. <laughs> you know what? I, I just realized something. What's up? And I can't believe it took me until you said that to, to put it together. And that we haven't even talked about this in style through two episodes. <laughs> the only, really the only close perspective point of view we have is... The security analyst. And Aiden. In this book, a- Aiden is a, is another security yeah. feed analyst. Yeah, he's 0148 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no, no, I guess I guess we get some Aiden in, in Illuminate too. But even then, like... Even the security analyst and Aiden in both of these books isn't a true close perspective mm-hmm. we don't know what their thoughts are yeah. we're reading a recording of what they you know mm-hmm. like and and maybe that's why readers gravitated toward what was it 7213 mm-hmm. yeah um because he is one of the few at least internal narration to an extent we get. Cause you, you said like, you know, the, this choice to have like ballpark's death be through the comms from the point of view of someone else. It's not from the point of view of someone else. It's just a radio com between two people. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is kind of blowing my mind <laughs> that we don't have a proper, like, close perspective. The closest we get is probably Aiden. Yeah. I well, agree. This is actually, it's interesting that we're talking about that. This I was thinking about this as I was listening to the book in my car at my lunch break today. Um, 
I noticed that a lot of those security feeds, um, the analyst and Aiden, and even when Jackson Merrick was like giving his debrief about what happened at the end, they all kind of had a lot of inferring and a lot of yeah um, opinions that might not have actually been going on. And they also kind of, with the exception of Aiden, I guess, they also kind of sounded a lot alike. Um, I guess the, Jay and Amy's voice comes mm. through in those analyst feeds a little better than when they're pretending to be another character. Yeah. Yeah, that that does track. And and um, they they refer to the wormhole in all the different perspectives. They call it like the deep blue or the shimmering blue mm-hmm. as a yeah. verb as a um, noun instead of an adjective. Um the silently screaming mouth in the face of the universe or something like that at one point. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a tear or a rip mm-hmm. in the side of the universe. Yeah, everybody's saying the same way. That. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little bit of a gripe for me. This is this this has got to be the first fantasy science fiction speculative fiction whatever series I've read where there isn't a proper immediacy being in the head of a character. <laughs> I or a traditional really one. Realize that myself. I, I, I just, I, I lose myself so easily in these books that I, it's at times hard for me to, to look at it objectively. Huh. And this is, this is actually really amusing to me because in in a couple of days, Rob and I are going to be sitting down to record a short episode yes. on a Gene Wolfe short story. The first time we'll be covering Gene Wolfe on the podcast. And the closeness of the narrator is so important to basically everything Gene Wolfe writes. He is the master of the unreliable narrator where where the immediacy of the thoughts and prejudices and motivations of characters is is absolutely paramount to the shape of the story and here the story is absolutely being shaped by motivations from characters in the illuminate group mm-hmm. but it's done from a remove I think, you know, I would be really, really curious to hear the thoughts of uh, somebody reading this book who cannot, you know, one of those people who cannot create mental images. Hmm. I don't remember the term. Synesthesia or synesthesia, something like that. Like, I know. Because this, these books are powerfully cinematic because they literally are people recording videos (laughs) like and like like it's it's meant to be you're you're getting information from a remove and applying that to create the image of what's going on in your own head Mm -hmm. what would it be like 
I actually, I really want to hear if if there are any of our listeners, please reach out to us on on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, wherever. If if you are a person who doesn't get mental images when you read, I want to hear what your experience was reading the Illuminate Files. Nice. Uh, uh, miscellaneous scenes anymore? I've got a couple tiny ones. Oh, I have a little no, tiny, I'm... tiny one. Let's hear it. It's a problem with Leanne again. Leanne Frobisher? Miss Frobisher. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ella finds the hard copy document on Falk's desk and it literally lays out every plan that Leanne had yeah, for yeah. Heimdall, how can she feel so sure about her acquittal? After knowing that there's a document out there with her name and ident from Baytech head- headquarters on it to the guy who sent there to kill all these people. I don't think she, she is literally that confident. Says, I think she it's bravado. seemed com- well, confident. I think it's bravado and pride. Um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't remember exactly in it, but didn't she not mentioned the second fleet in that letter yeah she didn't the second so fleet, to her, insurance one she she thought for sure that document was going to be destroyed because the second fleet was going to come and destroy the whole auditor team right oh well. i guess and and then because jackson made that false account she feels confident that it was destroyed in the second right. fleet right yeah okay so yes. jackson's probably involved in that too i didn't even think about the jackson uh proponent of the equation but yeah i think the timeline lines up right i i don't know it was a little <laughs> trust a little bit of a great for me editors. yeah you're you're oh, wait you're talking about leanne's attitude during the during trial the trial itself. that's that's like you know oh on the outside of this well, whole yeah, then, story <laughs> she's so confident it, it has to be it has to be Jackson's yeah. fake report. It has to be that. Yeah, she but she really she lost say her. That that's a complete fake account. Yeah, uh, she really like she was. I very, mean, it does feel sloppy. She was collected mm-hmm. and calm and very reserved. Even though she was very dismissive and, and sardonic throughout the whole thing, she was still very collected until that last testimony came through from Jackson Merrick from okay. Samuel Maginot and then she was standing up and she was screaming so I think that yeah. is what did it so what no okay here's here's the gripe I'm reading it out of the book right now so okay. he finishes Sweet. his story about how he kills everybody and he does it for Baytech and he does it for Leanne and all this stuff the first thing she says is this report is a fabrication along with most of this file lies strung together so she didn't know about that like is this the first time that she's ever seen this from Merrick? No. I I I read that as her knowing what it was and being prepared to just say, like, oh, this is all bullshit. Hmm. I think Oh, because um, it does say she consults with her counsel. I do have to say, like and and it, I don't know, maybe this is just once again the authors are not trying to like be super detail oriented and cover their plot tracks but like i just read uh you know a couple of months ago shadows of the empire uh you know star wars book 
And one of the major point of view characters is Prince Shizor, who's the the uh, leader of the, the Black Sun criminal organization. And he is constantly involved in, in all of these like assassination plots and like quadruple layered you know mm. uh gambits to to silence the people who who know things and and the people who told those people to do things and it's like clearly in in this Leanne had her redundancy uh fleet mm-hmm. she's like okay so we attacked Carenza we need to uh, the Lincoln failed. We need to deal with that. And then I'm going to send drones to deal with that group mm. so that nobody knows. Yeah. But the fact that she sent the letter, like, signed with her name and identification and everything. I'm just thinking about, like, what Shizor would have done. It would have been, like, he sent a message to a messenger from a fake profile... Mm-hmm. That that messenger, through only verbal knowledge, knew was him. And then that messenger sent, like, a coded thing to another guy, and then that to another guy, and then that order got to, you know, the auditor team. And and it's like, there's no traceable... Right. Even, even if something goes wrong, there's no traceable route unless you capture the one dude who has verbal contact. Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing on paper, nothing in files period you know and so it just it feels a little sloppy okay yeah i would say that so i totally get what you mean Dan. yeah it it sort of it subtly kind of undermines leanne frobisher's uh validity as a threat really when she's well, kind well, of to be fair i haven't felt that she's been a valid threat from the get-go she's been such a freaking like comic book villain the whole time yeah yeah the rugrats like, she's mom. been yeah. outwitted at every turn <laughs> She she has been totally impotent the entire series. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, and she hasn't shown a single instant of self doubt yet. So it's kind of hard to believe, and it's just like it's, it, it does feel very one note. Yeah, like I'm 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 way more invested in like Falk as a villain than I am in <laughs> the <laughs> interior <laughs> story, and not the exterior. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my next uh, and one of my last uh, miscellaneous points here is this one line that I just I can't get out of my head it, it may be the best line in this entire series this entire trilogy as a whole I think in just terms of a an aesthetic point my babushka used to say patience and silence have one beautiful daughter and her name is vengeance it's good stuff I just yep, I have that one highlighted or it, oh my noted. god <laughs> music that is that's is lyrical I, I love that I love it. That is good stuff. His whole story um, about his babushka was really good, though. <laughs> oh, boy. He, I mean, I would love to just sit down with... I, like I said, I wouldn't want to hang out with him for a day, but I would love to just <laughs> sit down and listen to stories told by Nick Malikov. Because when he tells a story, <laughs> it is serious. <laughs> it is... I mean, it, it has gravitas. It <laughs> has immediacy. It's... Oh, it's good stuff. Danny's over here showing off her insanely sticky noted <laughs> copy of Gemini. Oh yeah, right now. yeah. I had yeah, the, I have it the video the minimized there for a second <laughs> while I was reading that. Gotta say, I've I've never been a sticky noter. 
I'd be afraid. I don't even want to yeah. open my copy. It's just so pristine. <laughs> yeah, you you got the fancy schmancy signed copy. You uh, mine's yes, signed too, but I don't write in the book. I just yeah yeah, Rob. I never want to hear you complain again about not having signed Brandon Sanderson books. Brandon Sanderson books are like the easiest signed <laughs> books to get. You're the like one of the only people I know who actually has a signed Illuminae book. <laughs> yes, I really am, and I'm very fortunate to have it. We'll get yes. into the the reasons yeah. why yeah, I think we'll, next episode. Probably, probably at the end. Yeah. Uh, you got one too, Danny. Yeah, oh, yeah. we both have one. For Danielle, yeah, take we'll, your we'll, shot. We'll is what it says. That's what I have too. Take. Oh wait, I think I, I think I have flight yeah. like a girl. Hold on a second. Oh, nice. Yep. Yes. And then I oh, have I hope you do. Amy Kaufman, <laughs> Jay Kristoff, and Marie Lou signature oh, no. on there. I have take your shot as well. Down in there. <laughs> take your shot. Ooh. I think fight like a girl was for Illuminae. It might have been. Yeah. Probably yeah. was. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about this uh, probably in the miscellaneous bits in in Obsidian. Yeah. Yes, and uh, and and we'll we'll try not to shed any tears. Um, we will attempt so, but no problem. But uh, there, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about Hannah's quotes. Did you find them to be a little uh, gratuitous at all? I liked them myself. Um, it felt a little. Call of Duty failed mission e when you just get like a quote from a random general at the very end of when you when you fail oh oh um where she's constantly quoting like Sun Tzu Sun Tzu and, yeah. and Winston Churchill and yeah Bonaparte Napoleon yeah and, Bonaparte yeah. Eh, I didn't mind it yeah I didn't I'm mind a, it either but I could I'm I, a I, journaler I do the whole bullet journal thing and I have. I have quotes all over, so okay, cool. I'm totally for it. <laughs> cool, cool. Because I was anticipating, like, I, I would fit, think that, like, maybe some fans would feel that way, so I'm ready to fight them on it. <laughs> I mean, I've I've read so many different series that do things like that. I mean, uh, even, even like, the Enderverse, you know, like Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like there, there are so many series that deal with strategy military strategy and military leadership that pull yeah. from the famous generals of the past that i'm like like yeah it's a trope cool whatever i'm fine with it right on that's okay good um there's one that i did not recognize and i wonder if either of you did because i have no idea what this one is breathe no word of peace coward till our enemies breathe no more and it's credited at least in the audiobook as tonkian Tankian. Isn't that Surge Tankian? Is that Surge? Okay. System of it down. <laughs> I, I looked it up. I, I was like, that's what I thought too. Okay, because I just watched that uh, interview with with Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff when they were doing the press release for Obsidio. I was talking about that in Illuminae, and in that, uh, at one point, I think it was Kristoff that said he also likes to include like you know personal jokes and and band references. Mm. He said that that he's done that yeah. in this series. So when I saw Tankian, Tankian, I was like. Or I heard it. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> but I looked it up. I typed those words into Google as many different times, ways I could, as I could think of. It brought back nothing anywhere. Yeah, I, I I read that immediately as, like, them trying to... Like, because I saw, I saw the name. I was like, oh, that's... Search tanking. Yeah. But then, yeah, down. Like, what, so we have, we have Sun Tzu, we have Bonaparte, so we real. have... Like, well, it, well, no. So this is them... Trying to create a a general 
between our time now and when this takes place. Their history, our future. That there's... <laughs> exactly. Okay, I'll yeah. get that. And I will be going on about this in my stupid point that I promised for Obsidio, my miscellaneous about technology. <laughs> <laughs> but... And this is a problem I actually had during the Acts of Cain, too. I, I talked about that during the Acts of Cain. Um, but I don't yeah. know. I, I saw Tonkin. I was like, wait a second. We I have almost Churchill. Just mentioned this again. We have Churchill, Bonaparte. <laughs> we have like all the like we have Sun Tzu, and then we have Sergei Tonkin. I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> well, no, no, but th- that's what I'm saying. It's in world. It's not right. The guy from System of a Down. It's General it's Tonkin. Of... Some general <laughs> from 2300 who existed <laughs> sometime between when we're alive oh, now and when these books take okay. place. Who said this? Okay, <laughs> I swear to God that fuck bulb goes off again. All right, there it is. I just understood what you were saying. Yeah. My, my apologies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like and, that. And yeah, like like you said in the Acts of Cain, there are instances like that in the Acts of Cain where Cain or Tapas or, or you know whoever. Well, no, not Tapas. Uh, like Cain or or Kohlberg or or Shemaya Dole or, or you know who, whoever will be like referencing multiple authors that we know and then throw in one other that's clearly yeah you know after our time but before their time okay and i remember uh, and, and the same thing happens in in uh in like the gap cycle or or in ender's game i remember you know, uh far future science expressing fiction desire that where... we had more of that too yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's it's Christoph and Kaufman doing that and also making it in like a, a bad joke. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. I really like that actually. I I I I mean I'm not a hundred percent certain of that, but I guarantee you, like I, I would put money on it <laughs> yeah. that if you asked Jay Christoph, he'd be like, Yeah, it's uh, it's just a like, nod. Of course I was making it's a system of a doubt. A joke, way to but, tip my hat yeah. to Sir Jay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. My very last, very, very last, I promise, miscellaneous point. Chapter 178, Kim Rivera, who is Hannah's dojo master, she's revealed to be alive. So, uh-huh. I guess the after-action report by Rapier, as Falk takes over the station and kills all of Heimdall, he was already writing in fake, because in that one, she got gunned down as she leapt for the nearest operative. Uh, I read that as she got, because... Uh, most of them were shooting the stun guns. Stun mm-hmm. guns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Disruptor, they, they the disruptor guns. guns or something. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, disruptor guns. Yeah. They, they, okay. they specifically mentioned that they were, they were using crowd control, not shooting mm-hmm. to kill. Yeah, the pacification. Only, the only guy who shot to kill was Falk. Oh, man. How did I get through this many reads of the book before... <laughs> wow, okay. Because they, they say disruptor, which... Yeah. Who knows what that means well, in the future. Well, we also know that Phobos <laughs> Beta was, or Phobos Alpha at least, was meant for urban pacification as well. Maybe that's like a Baytech specialty. Well, no, so, Rob, like, I, I actually had the same um, uh, reaction in that scene where I had to stop myself mid-scene and go back and, and like, reread because I read it as they were shooting and killing people, yeah. like, with bullets. Especially and then, the sec team. Donnelly gets up and he's like, everybody calm down. It's like, and, and I was like, this doesn't not follow. (laughs) Like, 
they're out here murdering people and he's like everybody calm down it's fine and they all agree with him and i was like i went back and reread it. i was like no oh no no, no. they're not killing people they're shooting them with tasers basically yeah, yeah and they said that they like pistol whip people and stuff too yeah. so yeah, yeah. okay yeah. sweet i like yeah, that yeah. i like at least yeah i, I do <laughs> yeah. like that. okay i'm ready to go into favorite scenes if you guys favorite are. scenes yes okay um i'll start us off and i'll say uh actually i'll, I'll just give my uh shit <laughs> kind of want to give my honorable mention <laughs> ella malakova versus you know Atlanta. You know Ooh. Uh, okay all right all right we're you know we we already reversed things a little bit rob you did the you know the synopsis this episode i'm gonna go first okay that's fair that's and, fair. and the reason I'm doing this is because all three of my favorite scenes have already been brought up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. So my third favorite scene is Ballpark's death. <laughs> wow. That was my third favorite. <laughs> Damn. You guys lined up on that one. So, Rob, well, well, that was fast. Danny and I both got ours out of the way. <laughs> Rob, what's your third favorite? <laughs> okay, my third favorite. And I have the quote here. The room is full of cows. 23 of them, in fact. Oh. Big, brown-eyed dairy cows, mooing like a spotted choir. They're used to the reduced graph by now and tend not to move much. But when they do, they bounce across the pen in big, low-G strides. <laughs> The ladies look like they enjoy it utterly. Yeah. <laughs> Awful pun. I know. I'm just trying to lighten the mood. mood. Okay. <laughs> so much win. So much innocent, <laughs> joyful win. I just, I needed to include that in my favorite scene somewhere. It landed on my third Rob, spot because I found two scenes that I like more than that. Look at your camera. Okay. I'm looking at my camera now. <laughs> for those who can't see which is everybody except danielle who got, who got to witness that drew just flipped me the bird and i will say hey you asked for it didn't you it's a double bird all right okay okay so my second favorite scene rob what's up dude ella versus the lanama <laughs> uh it's pretty good though, isn't it? But I I can actually talk about this yeah. Go stuff, for it. You didn't you didn't. Um, the best part of this book for me was the way Christoph and Kaufman engineered tension. Mm-hmm. They were really good at foreshadowing things, but making it subtle enough that clues built, and you would reach a point just before a thing happened that you realize what's about to happen and it's horrifying things like you know the the scene when the the lanama hatch in in the bay yeah you realize just before it switches to that scene oh my gosh everybody forgot about this mm-hmm. including me these horrors yeah. are about to be, you know, like, and and Ella specifically, this scene was like the culmination of it, where 
you you've already known there's this one really adventurous Lanima. Yep. And and there are these just subtle clues in in the things Ella is, you know, like saying, even though she's not being affected yet. And then you realize she's crippled. She is immobile. And she is the crux of the resistance plan. And this thing is about to come kill her. The the pure horror of this moment to me rivals Am I Merciful? Or am I not merciful? I'm when just... Aiden opens the doors mm-hmm. to Hangar 4. Like, it's it, it was written so very well. I am glowing with pride right now in that you appreciate <laughs> exactly what it is I, I appreciate about this book. I'm, I just, the main reason I, I, I slated this here for the f***ing releases, because, for the, the spreadsheet, is I wanted to hear this. Thank you, dude. It, you are so right. You are so right. I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we could reciprocate this because it, it, took, it took a while, but you eventually also reached that point where I had you talking about the Black Company, nailing the things I love about the Black Company. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here and I just feel so warm. It's, ugh, it feels good. It feels good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so uh, Danny, what's yeah. your second favorite? Um, I had to go with the toilet cam. Um, Nick oh. almost getting Ooh. caught with his trousers down in the bathroom. Oh, juggler, yeah. And then he takes Juggler out in the eye, and that's technically Nick's first kill, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, I don't know, something about that scene is just very memorable in my mind when I think about this book. That's the first the scene that I think about in this book. Really? I think that scene is also very subtly one of the most disturbing in the whole mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. They have toilet cams. <laughs> like what? What horrific dystopia are to these be fair? It's bathroom in? cam, not toilet cam. Oh, I thought it was toilet cam because I think no, they seven could two see... one. No, but he said that you yeah, could see could Nick see leaning over the Nick. top of the stall with his arms over, but you can't see the bottom portion of his body. It's a oh. corner bathroom cam, isn't it? I don't know. That there's still urinals. Yeah, true. Like I, I don't know. They, th- this is. It's, it's, hey, maybe this is an Australia thing. Pretty messed up. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Oh there. my gosh! I don't know. No, but but that, that, that to me, I was my my eyebrows climbed toward my hairline when I when I was you like, know what? toilet. I will say this: How else could that scene have happened, though? Think logistically. No, I mean, it, it couldn't have. It couldn't have. Right. So, but like, like you know. Writing, spectacle, all of that. But by doing that, they introduce disturbing implications of the society these people live sure. in. Hey, or it might weird. just be, you know, space station um, security. Because it says the footage isn't great, but I guess Heimdall's designers weren't too concerned about what went on in their bathrooms. So it's like a, a normal okay. thing for this analyst to be... <laughs> he's not that thrown off by a toilet cam. <laughs> hey, it's the year 2575, right? Something like that. 
Well, it's it's a space station, but it's not just a space station. It's a wormhole, and they're paranoid. They even say how paranoid the engineers are. So I'm I'm sure that they would have to have cameras everywhere in a place like that. Well, right. But the fact that he specifically notes they weren't concerned about what's going on in the bathroom, as if the low quality bathroom cam is unusual. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's because it's it's interfering with his job. <laughs> As a, as a, literally as a, you know, transcriber of what's happening. He's like, this is why it's going to be hard for me to explain this because this is a bathroom cam. They're not very good. They're not very good. I don't <laughs> they know. They shouldn't they, exist at all. Any way you read it. Yeah, it's, a, I mean, there's if you read that like today, implicit it would be disturbing. Acknowledgement that bathroom cameras are normal in this <laughs> <Yeah>. society. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go on with my number two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The combination of Nick's story about Billy the dog and then explaining his charges that he pled guilty to. Hmm. With the way it wraps up and it comes all the way around with, you be men now. That was just, oh my god. And then the revelation about his younger brother and the suicide note that freed Nick from prison. Just everything that led him to those tattoos and this station when we got that information i felt like it was revealed perfectly and it ripped my heart out of my chest it was so good i was actually going to mention that a little bit in our discussion about nick himself but his dad is a character in this book and he doesn't even show up and his dad is like this horrible person that you just hate yeah <laughs> Especially when, like, Nick is released from prison and he, like, holds his arms out wide for that big hug and say, come here, son. There's just something, like, it's like, like Voldemort proud of him hugging Harry over. in the last, or no, who does he hug? Draco Malfoy in the last Harry Potter movie. It's like, oh, God, that's a, it's a revolting hug <laughs> is what it is. It's like, ugh. Disgusting. But yeah, that, the way that came around full circle. You be men now. It was heartbreaking. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, my favorite scene was Falk's entrance into the atrium. <laughs> oh, damn. The murder of Commander Donnelly. I wonder why. Why is that your favorite scene? As I said, all three of my favorite scenes have previously been discussed on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. It's very good. And it was uh, struggling for a place yeah. in my honorable mentions, for sure. Like, oh my god. But yeah, it, it, but, but this is what I'm saying. Like, these scenes are not typical favorite scene type content mm -hmm. for me. Like, most of the books, you know, we've covered... I go through the favorite scenes and, and my favorite scenes deal with like deep character moments or beautiful writing or, or things like that. And I just, I didn't have that emotional investment in this book. So scenes like Rob, you know, you said uh, the, the story of the dog and, and tying it into the murder of the girl and, and his jail time. And you're like, that is supposed to be an emotional moment, but it didn't land for me. And like, and, and uh, it's like, I'm aware of it. 
I'm, I'm aware while I'm reading, I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be like a powerful moment. But it's not hitting yeah. for me. And so, so that's why I had like such a hard time picking three favorite scenes for this. Interesting. That did not hit for me as hard as James McNulty did in the first mm-hmm. book. Nothing in this book did. But just in terms of its, of its cleverness and, and the way they arrange that, I felt like it was just, again, that full circle. Mm-hmm. You be men now with a dog and then the father pulling up his sleeve in the jail cell. You be men now. And what you knew that meant, and how Hannah mm-hmm. very perfect, like just perfectly encapsulated even the reader's reaction to that. Oh my God, no! You know, it was just yeah. I was with those characters, both of those characters in that moment. It was so heavy hitting for me. Nice, Danny, your favorite. Um, you might only get one shot, so shoot. You know who said that? Hannah bleeping Donnelly. That's who. <laughs> this is this is a scene that actually made me go like, yeah, go girl. Like, yeah, I actually liked Hannah here, and this is a turning point for me actually liking Hannah. And I was very impressed that the authors got me to like her after that. <laughs> Can I tell you what I thought at that moment? Yeah, go for it. M and M. Eminem, like she's the Slim Shady. Yeah, like <laughs> the lyrics. I don't get it. I know the lyrics of Slim Shady. You only get one front. shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This oh my comes god! Only once you in a lifetime. Shot, take your shot. Okay. <laughs> if you had one shot, one opportunity. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, it, it tracks with Hannah. I mean, she's not the most clever. Hey, person, maybe that but... was a Kristoff moment to nod to Eminem. I I think it was. Listen, that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, you know what? actually, I'm just. I just go on. liked. I just liked yeah, the whole ahead. scene where Hannah was basically finally xing out Callie because that yeah. that was good. And then even seven two one three was like, she didn't. No, she didn't plan this, did she? Yeah, she threw the journal and with the dust. Specifically because she knew she was going to lose in a fight, so she had to fight dirty, and I yep. like that. I thought that was really nice. Excellent. I'm so glad yep. you brought this up here, <laughs> if anywhere, because my favorite scene in the whole book is this scene. Hannah Donnelly versus oh. Fleur Callie Russo on the Heimdall tram. Everything from her chase, from Callie's chase, and Analyst 7213 describing her anger and this single-minded, like, just almost inhumanity as she's just focusing on these ones. Callie shooting those holes through the window and then diving through elbows first. Yeah, this woman is that kind of good. Mm-hmm. Like, lines like that are just... The spectacle, you just... It's so good. It's, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the most epic fight between these two. You know, Hannah and Callie throwing punches, kicks, grabs... Flips and reverses, choke holds and subtle traps while Nick is bleeding out in the background. Every bit of the sequence was just incredible. Talk about scenes that need to make it to the screen. Like, this has a flavor of <laughs> Monty Ohm animation. May he rest in peace. Like, this superb climax in its own right. I just, ah, everything about this scene was good. Except that last line. I didn't like the last line. <laughs> As soon as she said, when you have your shot, take it. You know who said that? I went, oh, God, please don't say Hannah Donnelly. 
<laughs> and she said so, it. And I was like, so oh, that. no, God <laughs> damn it. It was so... I, it, the, I had a feeling you were going to like this. Did you? And I want to tie this back to a previous episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Okay. The narration in this scene, from the removed perspective of the analyst, but the commentary on the movements and how good they are, if you put that into a first-person perspective of somebody in the fight, would it remind you of anybody? Uh, Kane? And Tanner. Oh. Yeah, okay. The way Kane sub-vocalizes, monologues, while he's fighting Tanner, and he's like, I've been telling you, I'm nowhere near the best that the monasteries have to offer. This guy, he might be one of the best. Like, that kind of in-action commentary rang so loudly of Matthew Stover writing Kane. Yeah. I knew you were going to like this scene yes. when I read it. Listen. Because I knew you liked the scenes with Kane and Tan. Yeah, and this could also be, like, the fact that I've been very open about the, about the fact that I, I, I share this with, even though I hate this character, with Wayne from the Stormlight, Ar- uh, the Stormlight Archive. Listen to me. Mistborn Era 2. I hate the character. <laughs> but there's one thing I definitely share with him, and that is I really like women that could that are just tough as f- and that could kiss like that, that could kick sorry, kiss that could kick my ass. Hannah Donnelly and Fleur Cali Russo, I would love to watch that match. That is just like holy I wanna see that in a theater. I wanna see that choreographed. I wanna see it like them like I wanna see uh Callie just like Flipping over Hannah's lock and then reversing the hold and then and then choking her out and then Hannah reaching over and throwing that uh, dust in her face and like ah uh, it's just yeah it was really like in in terms of spectacle it was phenomenal I love that scene so I get I, I'm not surprised that you could guess that I was gonna bring that up yeah 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 so uh, I I think that's uh brought us to the end of our discussion of the book itself shall we head into the final draft yes we can um actually i'm going to request going second so i can send you guys a picture really quick oh okay there's visual danny you want to go first (laughs) like i said last time i'm not really much of a drinker but i am Mm -hmm. enjoying a nice bottle full of crystal light <laughs> Crystal light. What is that? Oh, it's it's like a fake, like juice, like lemonade. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Is it carbonated? It's no, it is not. What's Drew? What's with a confused face? Are you not getting the picture? No, I I just got it. Okay. Whoa, that's cool. Okay. So for this Another week, flying monkey. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. I brought on a beer that I was so proud to be drinking because it had such a great name. Unfortunately, I got home from work and grocery shopping yesterday, and apparently I must have thrown that entire bag out because I could not find it today when I was getting ready for this episode. So I'm just going to tell you about the beer that I would have had <laughs> had I not been a total nincompoop. This was a beer from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewing in Barrie, Ontario. Uh, supposed, you know, crushable IPA. 
as it says at the top, whatever that means, with an ABV of 4.5%. I'm sure if I'd actually been able to find it today, I would be describing the flavor right now, perhaps the refreshing quality of that IPA, but alas, nincompoop. <laughs> anyway, this brew it's got went Lanham out to on the front. our hostile alien yeah, life forms. Say. Yes, it did. And the new worst way to die in science fiction, in my opinion. I sent you the picture. Here we go. It's called The Mutants Are Revolting. Yep. <laughs> and it's got a friggin' Lanham on, on the artwork. Wait, hold on. And a it says Chaos like Breeds Opportunity mouthed. on the front. <laughs> it's perfect yep that's great yep 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 that's great it's right there so that's what i would have been drinking today if i wasn't an irresponsible nincompoop that lost the beer that he was trying to bring on well that that is unfortunate uh uh, also unfortunate i was not able to bring on one of the two beers that i wanted to do uh it's I, I had to uh, try to trade for it, and I couldn't couldn't manage it in the short time frame uh, since I I couldn't finish the book, you know, until last night. Uh, but it, it was a, a, another IPA from Fair State Brewing Company called Mirror Universe. That would have been great, <laughs> oh wow! But, but I couldn't. That's uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, couldn't couldn't quite get it. However, I still brought on a uh, a, a delightful IPA. Uh, this is an extremely accessible beer. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is available basically anywhere in the United States, possibly in Canada as well. Um, it's it's the like kind of flagship IPA from Elysian Brewing Company, E L Y S I A N. They are owned by um, AB InBev, uh, like Budweiser, basically their distribution company. So they have a massive distribution footprint at this point. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a pretty standard, uh, IPA. Uh, let's see if it's gotten uh, an ABV on it. 8.2%. Actually, that's a, that's a pretty <laughs> wow. high, high ABV. Nice. Uh, that's, that's like an Imperial IPA, uh, ABV. Uh, but I also see, yeah, eight. it's, it's yeah. Yeah. My cat is getting in my face <laughs> right now. Um, uh, but it is called Space Dust. Oh, oh my god, really? Yeah. Dude. That's perfect. Damn. Space <laughs> Dust. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, I really uh, like that. You know, I, the, the moment I opened this book and I got to the point where they were talking about getting dust on, like, whatever, page four, uh-huh. I was like, oh, space dust. Like, I can get that at every single liquor store in town. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nice. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then we, and then once I got to the end of the book and I was like, ooh, Mirror Universe would be really good too. Because I've had Mirror Universe. I, I got it off of a, um, like a beer app called Tavor. Um, where, where you can, like, get beer shipped to you from breweries you don't normally have access to. Uh, but it was, it was like a year and a half ago that I had it. And, and I remember it being pretty good. Uh, and in fact, I need to double check, but I may have brought it on for the great hunt part one. Okay. For the that, portal, that portal stone fits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's starting to come back. You may flicker, have. Flicker, 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 flicker. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember if I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I tried to make a trade, but, but it was like, you know, I would have had to have somebody jump on it immediately and be okay with overnight shipping and, right, you know, right. and it just, it, that wasn't going to happen. So, so just a little Elysian space dust, which is plenty good enough. Perfect. Considering Zoom. the, uh, the operative drug <laughs> in this book. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. So I, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion this has been episode 108. Yes. Is that correct? Yep. According to the spreadsheet. Man, it feels like last week we were at 100, and we're already at 108. Um, man. But next up, we're going full steam ahead with the Illuminae Files. We will be doing Obsidio. And I'm, I'm at least like more invested now. Good. Like I... I'm glad that I, you're I'm at curious. least enjoying this story. Yes. Oh, I, I for sure am. Obviously, I'm, I'm critical, but I am enjoying the books. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we're doing it. I do want to ask where you think it's going, though. Because at the end of the Illuminate Files, you said, I like that there's more, but everything's kind of wrapped up. So you were very, very uh, relieved to hear that this is just happening concurrently, but was somewhere else. So what do you think is happening in Obsidio? What can you see? Well, they're obviously going back to Carenza. Okay. Right? All right. Um, I... Mm. Okay, all right, all right. I'm, we're going to take a break from the outro here, <laughs> and we're going to get some Drew predictions. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Yes. I should have done this earlier. All right, My bad, so, everyone. So they're going back to Carenza. Yes. They, I feel like that's the only option... Because they're all stuck on the other side of a collapsed wormhole. Um, well, they're going to have to deal with Phobos again. Ooh, they're going to have to deal with the... Whatever version of Phobos was the black mist over the science lab. At the beginning of Illuminae. Um, this is where I get to have the shit-eating grin. I like it. <laughs> Do you have any idea Ooh, of who are Oh no, no. Katie's, Katie's mom died on Copernicus. Is Katie's Oh, Katie's cousin's totally still alive. She is. Asha. She's still alive. Yep. Is she going to be the main character? Do you who want me to answer knows? That? Who knows? See you next week on Raffle. <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm, I'm trying to like think I'm sure the information is there for how they're gonna get back ooh are they gonna repair the mobile jump ship the mobile jump gate that the Baytech forces brought I will leave this with an insufferable <laughs> silence <laughs> I can't wait to to open Obsidio and have like half of my predictions just be totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the only if it's foreshadowed at all, that's the only thing I can think of. Oh no, but they have Hermium mines and Hermium 
is what you use to make worm. Oh my gosh. That that was the entire reason that the Wallace Yulinov Consortium was illegally mining yeah, yeah. on Carenza yep. for in the first place. Ooh, okay. Crap. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, tune in next week. <laughs> I'm really excited because this episode... is going to be my, only my second read of Obsidio. So really? I'm really excited about yeah, that. See, yeah, I've read like Illuminate 10 or 12 times, Gemina probably 15 times, Obsidio three times, four times. And not that I considered it a, a, an, an inferior volume. It's just, you know, I've started the podcast by then when this was released. So I was mm. just, I didn't have the time. Ooh busy busy uh reading new things instead of obsessively rereading old things yes exactly <laughs> we'll go with that yeah yeah well that'll be fun looking forward to it if you want to get early access to that episode check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash inking out loud uh you can support the show there in addition to a tier that gives you early access to episodes you can get Plenty of bonus content, bonus episodes, original fiction written by Rob or myself, uh, monthly newsletter, all kinds of fun stuff. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me, my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. And our special guest, Danielle Prosperi. Did I pronounce your last name right? Close enough. (laughs) Oh no, oh no. I just realized, like, I haven't actually heard your last name. It's Prospery. Prospery. Okay. Yep. Prospery. French Canadian, though, would be Prospery. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I, I wanted to make it French, but I was like, well, like, <laughs> okay, Prospery. Well, so, and as Rob mentioned at the top of the episode, Fell Candy is her online handle. If you want to check out her art, it is outstanding. You can Thank see you. examples of it on all of our <laughs> thumbnails, but she has plenty of other stuff on top of that so danny as always thanks for coming on i really really appreciate you guys having me on i appreciate again. you <laughs> coming on with us thank you so much <laughs> if i could make one final request not of either of you two but of pat the sound guy instead of the uh the regular jive mind moonlight outro i want to have the lollipop song oh wait no that's oh, probably copyrighted. no that's probably Ooh, copyrighted. Uh, never mind. No, never mind. No, now you have to sing it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, I'm not gonna do it again. <laughs> it's hear terrible. Me do it? Please, please. Do you want me to do it? I, I need this now, Rob. Yes. I we'll need this. I it. swear. Wanna lick my lollipop? Oh, I swear. <laughs> well, you got oh, the sweetest thing. So something, bad. something, something, something. That's how it goes. All right, you had it. <laughs> oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Santos as Lexi Blue. <laughs> Rob Santos appearing as Lexi Blue, licking lollipops in the theater near you. No, this has been okay. fun. This has been off I the think, hook. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the side that we need to end this. And that is something so. you can never unhear. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>